everybody. Welcome to Idio Talk, a Radiohead podcast. I am Walker Glenn. I'm Zach Glenn. It's good to see you, Zach. It's great to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited too. So just want to let everyone know what the heck they're listening to. Last week was a really exciting episode for us. Mm-hmm. We went through all the tracks of Radiohead's As of Now. <laughs> as of now, last <laughs> studio album. I said maybe. Pool. <laughs> Wait, what's that from? I don't know. Just I said maybe is like gives you hope, but it's it's usually not good, you know. Oh if sure, sure. Maybe. It's like <laughs> right. Can I get a toy? And it's like maybe, but that maybe was actually to shut you up while we get through the Target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, buddy, I was in a Target at night last night. I don't know if you've done that recently, but that's maybe something to. After I tell people what the heck this podcast is, maybe... <laughs> no, I want to hear about it, though. Okay, yeah. It was pretty exciting. I was in a Target at 9 p.m. last night. It was a really... It was Target after dark, baby. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, I I wanted to tell people what this podcast is because we're welcoming some new listeners this week. Mm-hmm. Last week, we had Noel Brown on mm-hmm. of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know and ridiculous history. And and I'm not going to say that stuff they don't want you to know and ridiculous history has more listeners than Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast. No. no, I would never say that. I will say they've been around a little longer. Mm-hmm. Stuff they don't want you to know has been around since 2008. Yeah. Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast has been around since early 2022. So so we're on your heels, iHeartRadio. Yeah. You know, don't don't get too you know in Jurassic Park, the uh the image of the T Rex in the side mirror and it says <laughs> Yes <laughs> We gotta go. We gotta go now. Must now, go faster now, now. Must go faster. <laughs> God, uh-huh, she uh-huh. Laura Dern rocks in that scene. That's oh what makes God. that movie so believable, is that one moment of her screaming shit. Get off the gear shift, Ellie! Laura Dern rules. She was like kind of an acquired taste for me that I didn't really appreciate until adulthood. But she's such a uh, dynamic and interesting actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are the T-Rex. On We are the T-Rex. That's right. That's right. Noel's Noel's Laura Dern. (laughs) Is Noel Laura Dern? I think Noel might be be Ian Malcolm because he came on our podcast. So he's more like life finds a way. Like he kind of knows, <laughs> like like the the corporate suits at iHeartRadio are like, ah, yeah, they're we Laura heard Dern. about their Laura Dern, or no, they're John Hammond. They're like, yeah, we've we've seen that there's this new Radiohead podcast on the block, but don't worry, we we sterilized them all so they can't breed. Like, yeah, we're in control. And then and then Noel is just like, we need to learn how to contend with Idiotaka Radiohead podcast. Totally. Right. But what even Noel doesn't know is that you unleash a T-Rex like Walker and Zach Glenn. There's no yeah, telling life what's going to happen. Life finds yeah. a way. It's a perfect metaphor. Mm-hmm. And what's the point I'm making here, Zach? I'm saying that we were really, really happy to have Noel on. And with him, we know, came some new listeners who might be checking this episode out. This might be your first post-Noel episode if you're a listener to his stuff. And so we just wanted to let all the new folks know 
Zach and I have been going through Radiohead's whole discography. And you might be saying to yourself, wait, so there's only nine episodes to this podcast? No, far from it. (laughs) We have taken deviations all over the place. We have attempted to chronologically cover, if not in its entirety, the majority of the side projects, Mm -hmm. particularly the Tom-driven ones that exist outside of Radiohead. We've also done episodes where we have guests on just to talk about Radiohead in general, Radiohead music theory, the mm-hmm. art of Radiohead, mm-hmm. and Radiohead and film. Be, Radiohead and film. Uh, you might be looking back in our feed and going, "What are these Batman episodes?" Yes, we have also covered <laughs> the early ni- the late eighties to early nineties Batman franchise yeah. every once in a while. And today is one of those kind of side episodes where, even though we have gone through. Radiohead's entire studio catalog, Idiotalk, marches on. And fortunately, Tom York marched on as well. And mm-hmm. a few years after a moonshaped pool, he dropped his third solo LP, Anima, on us. And that is what we're here to discuss today. Zach, mm-hmm. your thoughts? Nothing to add. I'm just really excited uh, because... Like you said, like we covered a lot of the different side projects, not all of them. And this is this is a big one and this is a recent one. So it feels like we're catching up to ourselves, which is sort of interesting. I had that same thought researching this one and and its release and rollout very much coming into kind of, you know, more contemporary historical and world events it was it was a strange feeling it was like it was did you feel like it's like oh this is the first time because even when we talked about a moon-shaped pool that like it's long enough ago to where i felt like i was grappling with like a, a a recognizable but a different zach same same like that for me is like the first that's the first radiohead album that we covered where some things in my life look the same. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm yeah. a father by the time that comes out. I'm mm-hmm. doing stand up comedy by the time it comes out. But it's still, like you said, it's long enough ago that I, I have great recall about that time. But it's like, oh, wow, you know, another, what, what has it been? Seven years? Another seven yeah. years has passed. That's a, that's a, that's a chunk of time. This one, I'm like, oh, yeah, like ain't too much different going on now than when Anima no. was, was released. No, and I mean, we'll talk about it as we... I know that this is something that we'll, we'll come up to. But yeah, I mean, just because of the year of its release and, and what accompanying tours might not have happened, that is always a trip when you kind of are, are reconciling that uh, with the release of something. So yeah, not much to add, but I'm just... I'm really excited. This is, this is a, a recent one. It's a big one. And like a moon-shaped pool... Like King of Limbs and almost like in Rainbows, the the release of this album coincided directly with my listening to it um, a ton. So yeah, that's all I would say. And and to touch on what you just said about you listening to it a ton, it also reminds me that I should tell any new listeners, and heck, even even the old idiot talkers might just be <laughs> like, you know what? I like when Walker and Zach reestablish their credibility at the beginning of yes, every episode. Yes, absolutely. Why are we doing a Radiohead podcast? Well, we are brothers. That's why we uh-huh. have the same last name. Uh, we are the yep. Glenn brothers. 
we have a fair amount of shared interests and shared obsessions, but Radiohead is kind of at the top of the heap in terms of things that Zach and I just realized at a certain point, whether it was on the phone, because we are millennials who still like, yes, we text a lot, but every once in a while, an actual phone call will still take place or in person. We're like, man, we really love to talk about Radiohead. (laughs) And in this day and age, if you love talking about anything with another mm-hmm. person and you don't turn that into a podcast, I don't know what to tell you. You're just leaving money on the table. Any conversation mm-hmm. that you're having with a loved one that is not recorded where anyone is slightly witty or interesting, <laughs> you're a fool. You got to record that. You got to put that out there for the people. So our credentials are that we are brothers who love Radiohead. And um, that is, and, and I think that we, came into this project knowing a decent amount about Radiohead, but I'll speak for myself. I have learned more than I ever thought possible about this band, these guys and what they do. I would agree. It's really cool. Um, I knew that I loved the band. I knew the band members. I knew all the songs from, I think every album, but I just feel like I know them even better now, which does make me, it, it is a mixed bag of feelings because I'm like, do I wish that I knew as much before we began? Maybe. But would the podcast be any better? Probably not. So I think it's cool that, that our listeners have gotten to learn some some new nuggets with us, even if they already knew them. Watch us learn I them think or so. listen to us learn them. I think so. We're not here to we're not here to lecture, you know. Should we talk about anima? Please, I would love to. So Anima is the third solo album of Tom York. Came out in 2019, June 27th of 2019. And I'm going to throw to you, I'd love to hear kind of what was going on with the background for the writing, recording, and kind of rollout of this album. Yeah, well, I mean, as, as you stated, it's, uh, it's the third solo album of Tom York, uh, you know, lead singer, frontman, multi-instrumentalist of the band Radiohead. It came out on June 27th, 2019. So we're talking um, just under four years ago. And it was accompanied by a short film that was released the same day, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. We're not going to get into that right now. Its length, it's it's a little bit longer than some of Tom's other solo works. It's 47 minutes, 44 seconds. Still nine tracks, I think, worth, worth noting. Another under 10 track project that, that's I know. pretty lengthy. So I really like some- that. Me too, but it means we got some long songs on this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that last night, though, just when I was writing out the tracks. I was like, it's, I, this is like a cool artist statement that I don't know what it means, but I like that the solo works are eight to nine tracks. Oh, yeah, you're right. Huh, none of them, because Eraser yeah, the Eraser's nine. nine. Yeah. And then, Mar- Modern Boxes is eight. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's I, cool. I don't, it's like, I think it's just like an understated statement, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, brings me to my next point. It's nine tracks long. <laughs> uh, Which brings me to and- my next point. Security. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna need a man with a rifle here. Man with a rifle here. Is that really necessary? Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. So, I mean, obviously a little bit short on just the, the data pertaining to the album. Uh, pertaining to the, like, the background recording. This is not so different. And I, I would love you to jump in here before or after, you know, as I go through this. But... To me, it seems like when people write about it or when they report on it or when Tom and Nigel talk about it, there's this consistent through line, which is that 
Tom wrote Anima following a period of depression, anxiety, and sadness, and that accompanied or was in in tandem with uh, writer's block. We can talk about kind of what we think he means by writer's block if we want later, but it's really difficult to get a firm understanding of the writing and recording dates from any reliable source. If you have those, please jump in. But this is, I think, largely attributable to the manner in which the album was recorded, right? Kind of similar to The Eraser in that the album is constructed by Tom sending these long, unfinished sort of tracks to Nigel, Mm -hmm. uh, lots and lots of music for him to sort through that he will then kind of slice and edit and then uh, give back to Tom to put melody and words over. Yep. And, and that really reminded me more of the eraser than I did of tomorrow's modern boxes. And I think that what's interesting for me and a muck and a muck. Oh yeah, for sure. But I think a muck though, maybe would differ slightly because it was like a jam session between him and musicians. Whereas sure. When it talks about what he would, what Tom would send to, give to, you know, whatever you want to say, give to Nigel to sort of sort through and, and turn into a sample to then turn into a song. I I was a little bit unclear as to like what it was he was providing him. Is it just, you know, a uh, long ambient noise, whatever. But I think that what I mean to say is that, you know, when we talk about a moon-shaped pool, when we talk about Hill the Thief, when we talk about King of Limbs, whatever, the recorded dates within the band, even Amok, are a little bit more clear because you mm-hmm. have musicians in the studio trying to work stuff out. Whereas to me, this seems like it would be a multi-year-long process that while he's touring, I don't know, uh, a moonshaped pool, maybe he's working on. I, I, it wasn't clear to me. But that, that's sort of what I have pertaining to the background. A little bit thinner than usual. Again, this album is so recent. So finding a lot of rich information about its recording, I think, might just take a little bit of time if we ever get that. But that, that was kind of the majority of what I had. That yeah, that I think that's true. Like if there's if there's you know a really tumultuous or or sexy story here, you know maybe maybe we'll come back and do it when they release the the ten year anniversary <laughs> edition of Anima. But I think that that I think that that is more to chew on than maybe you're giving it credit for. I mean, I think that this is just the reason we're being less extensive in the background is because. This is kind of established as Tom and Nigel's process at this point. I do agree with you. Yes. I think that I, I I didn't get the impression that tomorrow's modern boxes was combing through years of material the way this yeah. and the eraser were, but that was the process with eraser. That was the process with this. A variation on that process is how they made the Adams for Peace album a muck. Mm-hmm. And the thing that all these Tom solo projects have in common is even though it says Tom York on the jacket, the music, the songs are all credited to Tom York and Nigel Godrich. So mm-hmm. when they say that Tom is sending scraps, uh, I like you, I don't have specific insight into what those scraps are. I would guess that they are, you know, scraps of like chords on the synth, guitar lines, yeah. bass lines little grooves, probably vocal melodies. And then they, they build out the songs that way. And I will say right now that like on the eraser for me, the results on this album are really, really stellar and sound Mm -hmm. really, really labored over in the best way possible. I think this is a extremely confident, album from tom Mm -hmm. and maybe the most i'm not saying that it's my favorite but it is maybe the most cohesive and kind of mm, 
tightly packaged in its in its statement out mm-hmm. of all the Tom Solo stuff we've heard. And I'm kind of including a muck in that, even though that's not a a Tom Solo album. I, I do feel I get that, that it's like, yeah, these four kind of exist in their own category for me of like Tom, Nigel, a, a Tom, Nigel duo collaboration, you know, mm-hmm. is, is, is where we get these records. Yeah. But I want to kind of ask you what, it, what's your general feeling about this album and, do you remember how you felt about it at the time that it came out, if if at all? Yeah, June twenty seventh, twenty nineteen was a good summer. I remember um, I had uh, heard about this. I think maybe a week or so before it came out. I know that the, that like Tom's other solo work, there wasn't a ton of an um, uh, you know press and so forth uh, prior to its release. But I know that I, I I heard about it a day or so before, or a couple days before it was released. And I remember listening to it at work upon its release. I would go on a walk on my lunch break every day. And I remember listening to it um, that summer quite a bit. And I remember really liking it. And then I it kind of slipped away. And when the pandemic happened and, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to uh, keep my job, but um, start work from home. Uh, and I was already working from home part time too, but prior to this, but... To me, in my mind, Walker, this music is prime pandemic listening, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I can't—I can't really explain why. You know, it is sort of interesting to like think back to those early months um, when there was a lot of uncertainty, and 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 I know there still is, listeners. I'm I'm not trying to to talk about things as if they've all been solved, but I do feel that uh, from a state of mind perspective and all of that, that that I am in a different place as I think a lot of us are, whether that's better or worse. But yeah, I just remember listening to this album in the months of uh, March, April, and May. I, I want to say I want to say nonstop. Maybe I'll say just short of that. But just this is the Tom solo work I've listened to the most, and and I would now put the eraser in front of that because I think my order, my favor of of Tom solo work is is more in, uh, ensconced and decided at this point. And I I'll just say I don't mind saying if it's okay that I put the eraser above this, but not by a huge margin. Mm-hmm. But man, dude, I listen to this so much and um, it is interesting to me because some of the melodies and some of the the word patterns that he uses were really ingrained in my mind and going back to it. It had been some time since I'd listened to it, you know, maybe, I don't want to say a year, but, uh, you know, quite a few months. But yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's what's really interesting is I don't know that I've had a ton of musical growth, I, I, but I do know that there has been some over the last three years, you know, the first... 20, 2020 to 2021, I really felt like my guitar playing grew quite a bit. And and the way anytime that happens, the way you hear music is going to open up a little bit. And so I, I just remembered a little bit of uh, a little bit more chaos kind of in the melodies than I, when I heard when I went back to it this time. So when I think back to when I yeah, when I think back to Anima prior to and I just want to say too, I like I've even listened to it over the last year that we've been recording. So it's not that far away. But when I think back to my state of mind of first hearing this, I remember being a little bit more like, I can't, man, this is so cool, but I can't keep up with it. Whereas when I listen to it now, I can track with it a lot more. And, and I'm not trying to say like, this is something that, <laughs> that I could ever make or, you know, that's not where I'm coming at it. No, but you're, but you, 
you speak Tom's language more than ever right yes. now, though, dude, because yes, you've been living and breathing his music for the last dude, year. Dude, that's what it is. You pulled it right out. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that I speak Tom a little bit more. Some of the noises, you know, like I just, I, like I said, I listen to it a lot and, and more than I listened to the Eraser when it first came out. I couldn't have put it any better. Yeah, I feel like I speak Tom's language a little bit better and, and it just makes more sense to me this time. And so that's kind of where I would I would put a pin in it now. What I mean, do, do you have anything you want to add on or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I will. I mean, I I this album is one that has kind of backgrounded for me. It's not one like Tomorrow's Modern Boxes where I was yeah. coming to it clean. I listened to this album when I came when it came out and not only that, I I quite liked it. But in the intervening years, which have not been many, but had been enough that I really had not thought about this album uh, for a while and it was really, really fun to rediscover it. I don't know if it is a reflection of kind of the time we're living in or stuff that's going on in my personal life or this Mm -hmm. podcast or all of the above, but this album resonates with me in a very deep way now. And that's awesome. This one is the definition of a grower in that, I dug it when it came out. I dug it when I started listening to it a lot over the last month or so, getting ready to talk about it. But it has really rewarded patient and repeated listens to the point that I am kind of convinced this album is maybe intentionally backloaded. I think it's kind of structured Mm -hmm. in a way where it's taking you on a very slow burn. And not Mm -hmm. only do I find that the album kind of really kicks into gear of what it's doing in the middle and then rides a Mm -hmm. high that it had not quite reached for its first few tracks, which is not to say I don't Mm -hmm. love the first few tracks because I actually do a lot, but it just, it just takes you to a new level at this midpoint and stays up there. I think even the songs themselves are backloaded. A lot of these songs yeah. don't really hit their stride till they're like two thirds of the way through. Like he'll have a six minute song that I'm kind of bobbing my head along going like, yeah, this is cool, but it's kind of starting to fade into the background. And just as it's starting uh-huh. to fade into the background, it'll move into some new part or a uh, vocal rhythm or sound that like, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I was asleep at the wheel here. I'm so in, but yeah, everything Tom, take the wheel. T- t- <laughs> Tommy, take the wheel. Right. Yeah. And not only, sorry, Walker, I'm a very rude person. That's why I interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, last I heard you were circling the drain. So let me just try to, <laughs> let me just try to twist my way back in here. Um, <laughs> listeners, these jokes are all going to make sense soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, so when these songs, these kind of backloaded songs kick in, it's not even a thing of, oh, now I like it. It's like, oh, I didn't know how, you know, it's like a, a movie that you're, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kubrick, he's got to get mentioned at least once an episode. Mm-hmm. Some of his best movies, I'm never bored, but yeah. the big thing happens right at the last moment it could before I get bored. Yeah. Like just as I'm getting kind of lulled into like a You get taken like, to that red bathroom. 
Yes, exactly. And then it's yeah. like, and then it's like, oh, this has so much more impact because of everything that happened now that felt like it was maybe just kind of humming along. And I feel yeah. that on this album and then on the individual songs and, and I don't know. I, it, it's uh it's a real achievement in kind of patient songwriting for me, man. I, I just don't have anything to add. I think that's just so well said. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear, Kind of, I don't know if it'll be in this episode, but maybe when we do our ranking of the Radiohead individual albums, we could kind of put Tom in there as well, or we could talk about since this is at this time, you know, the the last Tom York solo album. You know, we could maybe talk about it at the end, but I don't know if there's a better way to lead into the album. I just I don't have anything to add, but I I really would agree with that. Well, uh, I I think that would be great. I've actually already thought in addition to ranking the Radiohead studio albums and picking our top 10 Radiohead tracks, I think we should then do a separate top 10. That is Mm -hmm. everything else we've, uh, anything that is not on a Radiohead studio album that we've covered. Yeah. So then another big list that it's like, you can put, you know, a song from Phantom Thread yeah. or a Tom Solo song or a, or Shangri-La by Edo by EOB or <laughs> uh whatever that fucking shit Phil was doing is you know <sighs> it's all <laughs> <laughs> Now Zach you talked about listening to this a lot during the pandemic we also oh, yeah. talked about how this is the first album we're covering where as we're kind of reading about the background we're like Oh yeah, okay. This is this was a couple of years ago, right? Like yeah. like yeah, yeah. and and you know, uh the pandemic really factors into that. This album never got its own mm-hmm. tour because no. it was planned for 2020 and then we all know what happened. Kind of like a lot of other Radiohead and Tom York material, I think you could apply a revisionist perspective to this because this album to me is kind of about having to continue to function in society, even while society is in collapse around you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do not think that Tom knew there was going to be a global pandemic, but I do think it uh, very much mirrors a lot of what is being explored on this album. Mm-hmm. They marketed this album in kind of, you know, a a modern viral marketing style where there were all these fake advertisements or advertisements, as mm-hmm. they would say across the pond. On the telly. Or, no, not on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> in the tube uh, for uh, Anima Technologies. Um, and these ads were for a camera that can record your dreams. Mm-hmm. Now... Let's talk about this concept of anima. It was it was new to me in learning about this album, but it's a Jungian concept about the female part that exists in the male unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty specific, but when I read an interview with Tom about kind of how that relates to what the album is about for him. He seemed to kind of key in more on this idea of dreaming and unconsciousness than necessarily it being about uh, the dichotomy between kind of male and female consciousness in the human brain. Mm -hmm. So this quote from Tom about why he ended up calling the album Anima uh, Mm -hmm. goes something like this. So Tom says, 
I think the reason it ended up being called Anima was partly because I'm obsessed with this whole dream thing. And it comes from this concept that Carl Jung had. But also, we've started to emulate what our devices say about us and emulate the way we behave from that. So I had this whole thing where like the reason we can watch Boris Johnson lie through his teeth, promise something that we know will never happen is we don't have to connect with it directly because it's a little avatar. It's this little guy with a stupid haircut waving a flag. Okay, that's all right. That's funny. And the consequences are not real. The consequences of everything we do are not real. We can remain anonymous. We can send our avatar out to hurl abuse and poison, then trot back anonymous. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I saw that quote too. It reminded me so much of the way we behave on the internet. And I mean, this may be exactly what he's speaking to, but that that's just what it made me think of, I think, the most. And and I think too, just to go back a couple steps, uh, you know, I mentioned when I was just doing the light background, release date recorded and so forth, that that there was an accompanying short film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It it is like a music video, but it's more it's so much more than that because I do believe it uh covers at least two songs, right, Walker? Three. Three songs, yeah. So it's I mean, yeah, it's a short film accompanying a portion of the album. But talking about the dream section uh, pertaining to the meaning of the album, there are moments in this short film that depict sometimes the repetitive, frustrating nature of what can occur in a dream like nothing I've ever seen. And it is difficult to depict dreams, uh, I think, in, in TV and film. Obviously, there are just challenges because we all dream differently, but we all dream the same, too. So you don't mm-hmm. want to go, too. But I, I, I don't know when we'll, we'll want to, you know... Um, we don't necessarily have to pull it up, but I think maybe when the music's playing, I might dive into that a bit more, but just because you were speaking to it in terms of the album title, I just wanted to call attention to the fact that, you know, some of the parts I love more than others, it's, it's all shot incredibly well, but in, in a, uh, in a short film that I've watched probably four times now, it's so interesting what things stand out to me each time. And, the, and I mm-hmm. think that's kind of like listening to or watching any great work. You know, I'm not going to say this is PT Anderson's greatest work, or even his greatest work in collaborating with Radiohead or one of the members of, but I found it to be so interesting from that dream angle uh, over the last, uh, I guess it was two nights ago that I watched it. But I think the short film is really, really a perfect part of the package of this album and Mm -hmm. its themes. And I really think that, listeners, if you haven't, you should go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's 15 minutes long. It's a uh, extended music video that takes the songs from the album, not the news, Traffic, and then ends with Don Chorus, my favorite mm-hmm. song on the album. And I knew it. Uh, it <laughs> <laughs> and the the short film to me really drives home the idea that I think Tom is getting at in that quote and that I hear throughout the lyrics of this idea of society itself as the dream, this modern Mm -hmm. kind of technological hellscape and the performance of these things that we have to do to function in it. That's the dream. I think this is honestly the closest thing to a concept album that Tom York has ever made. Like in sound and theme, it's basically all one piece, kind of one story. I I was doing a little experiment earlier today where I was listening to the album and imagining each song is all from the perspective of one narrator. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it, I don't think it's like 
replete with like characters or or things mm-hmm. like that, you know. Well, I'm not talking about Tommy or the Black Parade here or anything like that, but it's it mm-hmm. really is a conceptual piece in my mind. I think that this album is talking about the fear of trying to survive in this kind mm-hmm. of tech world, right? Mm-hmm. And this kind of late stage capitalism world. Mm-hmm. And then it does that by having an album that sounds like a cold tech hell. Right. And throughout that sound, you have Tom's voice kind of fighting its way through. I really think this album is about humanity trying to fight its way out of all this artifice. It's about trying to remain human in a world that's trying to make robots out of us all. And I think that's a lot of what the short film is showing is kind of like, it's kind of this dystopian love story where you're trying to find your way to another person while basically Mm -hmm. having to go to work and take the bus and Mm -hmm. report for duty and, you know, and show the dance of life. (laughs) <laughs> Do the dance of life. Show up for all this shit that you didn't sign up for, but you have no choice but to participate in. And all of it isolates you from other people. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you felt about this, but in the, we should say also the, the, uh, short film basically stars Tom and his, uh, now wife, girlfriend at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do my best here. It's an Italian name, but Dojana Roncioni, I would say. Yeah. And or yeah. Ranzioni. And in the yeah, I was unclear on her last name pronunciation. So either way. Uh, I, yeah, I'm going to say Dojano Ranchioni. Um, and if I got that wrong, I apologize. But in the beginning, you see her and Tom kind of exchange this flirty glance on a subway mm-hmm. where everybody, including them, is all wearing this kind of like nondescript worker uniform. And the way they looked at each other. I I almost felt like there's a story here where it's like they're not allowed to be doing that. Me too. That I got very 1984 uh vibes very much of, so. Um Winston and I forget the the woman's name, but that was sort of where I I said it in my mind not totalitarian Nazi Germany, but more the way Orwell depicts 1984 in this sort of like there's a homogeny in fashion that is sort of just like bland but bright. Anyways, uh, yeah. yeah that, that was sort of yeah. I mean it's just it's it's that's what it that's what it was to me. It's these it's these two songs that are about kind of like the rat race of life. Mm-hmm. And then this third song that is about finding some sort of love and connection while still being kind of suffocated and choked by that. And yeah. it really really I'm not going to lie, it touched me. It uh right. it really really <laughs> hit me. And uh, I found myself crying by the end of it. Did you have any thoughts about, you know, how the the short film kind of ties into the the album? Oh, my you? gosh. Yes. I mean, I just I love so many of the things you touched on. Just uh, I, I thought we're, we're just you just summarized really, really, really well and, and just sparked some of some of what I kind of picked up on along the way. I mean, the first thing that you talked about was uh, that this might be the closest that Tom has ever come to writing a, a concept album intentionally. And I agree. And and the only other time that that is really that I've heard, you know, other folks certainly observe and, and I would agree with a little bit is OK Computer, you know, mm-hmm. and OK Computer is not, uh, you know, according to the band, uh, it's not a concept album per se, but it's not not that as well. Mm-hmm. And 
and I think, and you know, and and I think OK Computer is 1997, so it obviously predates uh, a film such as The Matrix, you know, and and then this obviously uh, comes afterwards, and you know, The Matrix I think is something that is so easy to kind of not roll your eyes at, but just sort of think of as like. Well, yeah, duh. At this point, you know, cut out cut out some of the the elements like the fighting, which are make it fun to watch. But like, you know, you touched on it in our episode with Casey. Like, what was it societally societally that was driving? I think creators like the Wyatowski siblings, you know, to frame things in that context of there's got to be more than this. And I think when you think about it in that way, it 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 does have a lot of profound meaning, you know. And it's not necessarily new or that they were the only people to think about it. But clearly a lot of people were and they were able to sort of distill it into this package. And I think that OK Computer does that. And 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 like I said, it predates the Matrix. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, not, not exactly. And, you know, the messaging isn't the same. And I feel like this sort of does the same thing, too. Like you're talking about, like, existing in society and having to, whether you can wake up or not, whether it's like a dream that's implanted or not you know, it's, it's speaking to that. And then like to the dream part that I was trying to speak to earlier when he's trying to go through the subway, I forget what those bars are called, but you know, that you have to go through in, in any subway turn system style. and he keeps turns out and he keeps getting uh, stuck on it. To me, I'm like, this is like a dream that I've either had or would have. But what's mm-hmm. so cool about it is that it's just a relatable, repetitive, frustrating dream but it also really speaks to the messaging, you know, whatever the messaging may be, whether it's something I'm creating or is there or not, you know? So it's like really cleverly laid out. And the other thing that I thought about when I was watching it, and this was a new context I was able to apply because I had not seen Suspiria um, the last three times or so that I had watched it was it, it really was interesting to me watching it and how intentional the choreo, I mean, obviously the, the camera operation and all of that is incredible, but like, the focus on choreog- choreographed dance was very, very similar to what is happening in Suspiria a lot, which is not a P.T. Anderson directed film, but Tom York did the soundtrack work for. And I don't, I don't have anything else to elaborate on that. It not in a way that it feels derivative or lifted, but I thought it is interesting that in the period of 2018 to 2019, Tom was really focused on either providing music for or participating in himself a little bit more of an organized choreographed dance. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of get what I'm driving at? Like how that's a yes. big theme of Suspiria. And I don't know. I mean, I don't really have a lot to elaborate on there because I don't have a point. I mean, you kind of already fleshed that out with like the, you know, the dance that we do in life or, or society or whatever. It was fun though, for me this time to watch that. Maybe Tom in watching Suspiria was like, Hey, I fucking really like this and I like to dance. And it's always been a little bit sort of chaotic, but I would like to do something where I depict that in a little bit more of an organized fashion, or I do my usual unorganized dancing against these very uh, performative and synchronized dancers. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but those are just some of the things that you, you touched on that really stood out to me as well. Like the idea of a concept album and sort of juxtaposed to where, the matrix or stuff like that you know vanilla sky has sort of sandwiched in between it again i don't have a big point there but like it's just interesting to sort of think about and uh yeah i wanted to talk about the the dancing elements so i don't know i think i i generally kind of touched on some of the stuff that spoke to me but i don't know well i love what you said about trying to get through the turnstile and it being this like repetitive motion that you would have in a dream and this like simple 
task that you can't accomplish in a dream. And to me, it's like the dystopia that is depicted in this album and then visually depicted in the short film accompanying the album. What I love about it is that there's these little differences or these little escalations that make it slightly Mm sci-fi, but really it's, it's like the dystopia is now the dystopia is us. And I think this album hit me so hard because it like really perfectly tied into some things that I just read and watched. So yeah, just read the book Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher, and it explores the idea that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism and Mm -hmm. then kind of pontificates and paints a picture of well, what does living under that assumption do to mm-hmm. humanity? And then I watched the movie Children of Men, and I'd seen it before, but it just really, really emotionally hit me for the same reason this album does, is it's positing the same type of environment where it's like degradation is so normalized but people still have to carry on with what they are supposed to be doing, right? Doing mm-hmm. the dance, doing the performance, even though everything around you has collapsed or fallen into disrepair. But it's like the feeling of love and human connection being the thing that you can't drive out of people, even with all that happening is what's present on this album for me. And I loved that in the short film that he and this woman see each other on a train going, like going through a tunnel, going to do this weird kind of like interpretive dance depiction of like work on the factory floor is kind of how I saw it. Like this, like, dance of the proletariat basically yep they see each other there's like acknowledgement but they're not able or allowed to do anything about it but then when you see them in the end and they're expressing love through the dance that they're doing with each other they're on a different form of public transit they're on a city bus Mm -hmm. yeah and i just and it looks very similar but it's distinctly different yes they and it's like they meet again and they fall in love but the machine grinds on. It's like mm-hmm. love can't be stopped. And not to be too fucking corny about it, but it's like no matter what happens in this world to kind of continue to make this just like kind of a neo-capitalist <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like tech nightmare, you can't stop that. Like that mm-hmm. part, no matter how isolated we become and like live in our own little bubbles, like when we do bump back into each other, there still is going to be this like desire to connect. And I don't know, I pulled something up from the book Capitalist Realism that kind of yeah ma- makes, if I can, if I can read this, so I'm paraphrasing a couple things, uh, but he talks about children of men here. And so the author, Mark Fisher, he says, Watching Children of Men, we are inevitably reminded of the phrase that it is easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. 
That slogan captures capitalist realism, the widespread sense that not only is capitalism the only viable political and economic system, but also that it is now impossible to even imagine a coherent alternative to it. Once, dystopian films and novels were exercises in such acts of imagination, the disasters they depicted acting as a narrative pretext for the emergence of different ways of living. Not so in Children of Men. The world that it projects seems more like an extrapolation or exacerbation of ours than an alternative to it. In its world, as in ours, ultra-authoritarianism and capital are by no means incompatible. Internment camps and franchise coffee bars coexist. In Children of Men, public space is abandoned, given over to uncollected garbage and stocking animals. There is no withering away of the state only a stripping back of the state to its core military and police functions. Mm -hmm. The catastrophe in Children of Men is neither waiting down the road, nor has it already happened. Rather, it is being lived through. There is no punctual moment of disaster. The world doesn't end with a bang. It winks out, unravels, gradually falls apart. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the world of anima. And that's Mm -hmm. the dream that that he's talking about living in. Man, I uh, I really want to read that book, for one thing. I love that it, it incorporates these ideas that you're talking about while also citing like contemporary... Because Children of Men was, what, 2006, I want to say? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, you know, contemporary film. And uh, uh, I just wanted to, to point that out because if I was mm-hmm-ing, it, it wasn't meant to uh, imply that I have read that book. But man, I would just love to. And, and I love so much on what you're hitting on. And I don't mean to just tack on pointless editions but it, it does make me think of and and you know please don't apologize for for being cheesy or whatever it was you said because i just love these ideas so much and i love them now you know in a time when we say or i shouldn't say we when i say i i follow that conventional narrative i really try not to be uh, critical of my own generation or of the you know uh is it gen x before us mm-hmm I, I I just dislike that kind of talk so much because it to me it just perpetuates what we've always done since we've had generations that we could cite, you know? Sure, sure. Um I, I certainly will acknowledge that the boomer generation created some issues or whatever, but people are always creating issues, is sort of my right. contention. Sure. And um I don't know where I, I got that from, um, but I just, I, I love these. Oh, I, in that I will be critical and be like, you know, we are all addicted to our phones instead of using I language. I am addicted to my phone and mm-hmm. I struggle to, you know, and I think that can really mm-hmm. like sort of reset your mind. And, and I'm not saying that this has cured me or that I am able to do this all the time, but I just love that idea so much of art kind of reminding us through whatever avenue it can that, you know, despite all the shit that is just there, you know, that is purposeful or whatever, whether it's smartphones, whether it's work, whether it's electronic inputs, whatever, that, at our core humanity, sort of the same ideas persist. And, and, and I like children of men. I have not watched it in many years. I definitely need to rewatch it, but the movie that uh, I know has been brought up on this podcast quite a few times that I think really speaks to that idea really, really well for me. And, and also the, this capitalist idea is Blade Runner 2049. And, mm-hmm. and I think say what you, you will about that movie, but what's so interesting about it and a criticism that's been lobbed at it is that it can't, it, it it depicts this this dystopian future so well 
where uh, the, our idea of what capitalism is has so single-handedly dominated society and is therefore a very anti-capitalistic film, which I do think is a theme that's present. And I think is really cool that a major studio made a movie with those themes buried in it. Mm-hmm. And, and capitalism dominance is comorbid with just exactly what you were just talking about. That's present in children of men, just like this utter and, and, and complete, not chaos, but just like, the, the planet is ruined, right? Like we have toxic, the equivalent of like acid rain falling or, or snow all the time and people just exist, you know? But, and, and at the core of that film is not necessarily a love story. It is one of the cores between uh, Rick Deckard and, and uh, uh, Sean Young's character, Rachel, but also in the core of the sequel, what is really like driving it is like the idea of, a baby a child right so it is Mm -hmm. like it's not like a love story necessarily that is one of them but it's just these other like primal this primal thing which is like you know procreation that is driving and people have sussed out narratives that i do not think are intentional in in the blade runner sequel that it's a a a film that is intentionally pro-life and anti-abortion and I think that you can get that meaning if you want out of it, but I think at a deeper level, what it's striving at is something much, much greater, which is like actually women having autonomy over their bodies, whether they do or do not want to keep a child, which I think is mm. so cool. All that, I mean, I want to refocus here because this is a, a sales pitch for that movie necessarily, but I think that like that is what a lot of art is trying to drive at is like, how do we refocus our humanity? Um, despite where the world is either going or going to go, whether it's an economic system that's making this chaos, but at our core. And I think that's why those stories resonate so much, you know, whether it's in, in film or music or whatever. And, and we could cut that because I was sort of just like attack on no, I, exactly what you just no. said. No, I love it. But yeah, this is why I loved this album because it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. really made me like live in kind of these ideas. Well, and, and I just, brought up Blade it Runner. just coincided so well with, like I said, just stuff that I already yeah. just happened to be reading and watching. So it, it just fit perfectly. Well, yeah. And I brought up that too, because Blade Runner, you know, the coloration in the short film of this, uh, and I mean, you know, uh, Denis Villeneuve, the the director of the sequel is one of the most, um, I would say lauded and, and sort of celebrated directors in, in our current era, not, not the most, and he might not be at the PT Anderson level, but like, in my mind, he is. And there's something about the coloration of this short film and a lot of the the dress that really reminded me of both Blade Runner and its sequel. And then a lot of the ideas that it's driving at, you know, whether intentional or not, and the ambience of the music. And and the Blade Runner score is, and, and it, its sequel, Hans Zimmer, um, who is kind of up and down for me, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer did the score, and it's one of my favorite scores ever. And and uh, Johnny Greenwood has cited this score and Hans Zimmer's work as they are each other's favorite film composers, which I think is really cool. Um, and, and Johnny Greenwood has talked extensively about the Blade Runner 2049 score and what it does in terms of its atmosphere and how much he loves it. And then you have Johnny Greenwood working with P.T. Anderson in a collaborative sense, not necessarily on this project. So, you know, I don't mean to fall into everything is connected. All this is this, that is that. That's not what I'm trying to do. It is just really fun, though, like when I think you have these deep thinking people and the ideas that they're driving at, you could sort of just feel the same thing, whether it exists in you or it's intentional from the creator or not. It's really, really cool. I agree, man. And like, and I think that... I, I I wonder why these themes on this album that are not that are not new 
to this mm-hmm. album, right? Like Tom York has been concerned with kind of the suffocating nature of modern Western life mm-hmm. since the Benz, you know, like, and then, and then incredibly uh, that comes into mm-hmm. like much greater fruition in okay computer and then it's been present in his work, I would say, consistently mm-hmm. in some shape or form on everything that we've covered. But I think there's something that really, really touches me about how personal it feels on this album. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has something to do with the fact that his his partner is the person that he's kind of having this like silent love story mm-hmm. with in the short film, there's just something again, it's that kind of like, it's that, it's that soft, it's that softening of old age that we've kind of talked about that comes up, but very brittle still though. Yes. It, it's just it's really it's brittle this, in this, in this album. <laughs> yes. This album is cold and anxious sounding, but there, but there is the, I, I really do think that it's, about humanity kind of fighting to get out through that. Like you said, having a Mm -hmm. child, falling in love, making Mm -hmm. a friend, kissing your kids goodnight, like whatever it is, like in this kind of like dystopian world that anima puts us in, it's the rose growing out of concrete or to use the Mm -hmm. in rainbows metaphor. It's the, it's the rainbow in the oil slick, you know, and big time. it, It just, it just really, really, this idea that again, like I, I just really, really hit me emotionally in children and men, uh, in children of men, you know, spoilers for the movie, but it's a world where everyone has been infertile. There've been new, new children mm-hmm. born in 18 years. And towards the end of the movie, uh, when the, the, the first baby has been born and the that scene is so intense because it just fucking happens. (laughs) Yes. The, the baby is born and the protagonist is helping the mother and child flee this active war zone. And there's a scene where people start see people who are shooting rockets at each other, start seeing the baby and everything stops. Everything goes silent. Uh-huh. Everybody's just staring. And it's this long tracking shot that goes on for maybe a minute of everybody putting down their weapons and stopping. And then all of a sudden, one uh-huh. shot from somewhere goes off and everybody Im- immediately starts shooting again and it erupts back into chaos. And that just that idea of there being these parts of our humanity that like no amount of work and no, that, that the machine cannot grind out of us. Like no matter, Mm -hmm. no matter how bad things get, that there's still going to be this part of us that will stop and seek Mm -hmm. that human connection is just really, really powerful to me. And if I haven't droned on too much, before we get into the tracks, I wanted to read one other thing that this really reminded me of. Please. We talked about Orwell, you know, being kind of like something that you get a sense is informing the aesthetic in this mm-hmm. short film. Have you ever read the Orwell essay, uh, Some Thoughts on the Common Toad? Mm, no, I have not. 
It's really I've only read one of his essays. Uh, which, oh, which, which one? Uh, it was his review of Mein Kampf, which was deeply interesting. His essays are great. This one, I won't read the whole thing or even most of it. It's actually pretty short, but it basically starts off with him watching the garden toads emerge in the spring of England. And it's just kind of him pontificating about their life cycle and how they breed and what they eat and everything like that. And then it kind of slowly turns into this rumination on how uh, artificial everything in modern life is and how basically how there's not a lot about our existence that encourages us to stop and experience nature. And so after Mm -hmm. like, after a page, two pages of him just kind of musing on the common toad, uh, Orwell says, I think that by retaining one's childhood love of such things as trees, fishes, butterflies, and to return to my first instance, toads, one makes a peaceful and decent future a little more probable. And that by preaching the doctrine that nothing is to be admired except steel and concrete, one merely makes it a little surer that human beings will have no outlet for their surplus energy except in hatred and leader worship. At any rate, spring is here, even in London, and they can't stop you enjoying it. This is a satisfying reflection. How many a time have I stood watching the toads mating or a pair of hares having a boxing match in the young corn and thought of all the important persons who would stop me enjoying this if they could? But luckily they can't. So long as you are not actually ill, hungry, frightened, or immured in a prison or a holiday camp, spring is still spring. The atom bombs are piling up in the factories. The police are prowling through the cities. The lies are streaming from the loudspeakers, but the earth is still going round the sun, and neither the dictators nor the bureaucrats, deeply as they disapprove of the process, are able to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Man, wow. And now you need to talk because I am... Uh, <laughs> I just love it. I mean, I think what what that that passage does so well is it makes me feel the same way like great Radiohead, and I am just going to say Radiohead, but Tom York, Radiohead, or Elliot Smith music kind of makes me feel in that they are, you know, um, I think we all, maybe not, I, I can only speak for myself, I think at times, uh, you know, I've thought of uh, what music would I want played at like my funeral, you know, or something like that. Not in a way where I'm like, Oh, so everybody's crying and I fantasize about, I'm not talking about in that way, but I like, will often think like, well, you know, I'd want this Radiohead song or this Elliot Smith song or whatever to celebrate my life, I guess. And I'm like, but none of that would come across the way that I, it makes me feel, which is like putting the reality of what we deem to be of like, you know, I love the part where he said like important people would interrupt this observation you know, but he's saying no, but I'm looking at like the beauty in this, you know, this system and the the beauty in this beautiful thing right here. And I'm putting aside kind of what is distracting and people deem to be more important, even though it might be ugly. And I just feel like that encapsulates, you know, uh, whether Radiohead or Elliot Smith or whatever are trying to evoke an Orwellian feeling or not. That's sort of what I think that all has in common is it's not denying the, the, the distractions of ugliness in the world it's it's actually addressing them directly 
but it's sort of like finding beauty in that madness. And I just love stuff that is able to do that so well. And that's not to say too, that like, you know, a rom-com, a really good rom-com or whatever is devoid of any depth. You know, we were talking about the Beatles earlier. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't know how much of that will keep, but we were talking about the Beatles earlier. There's uh, a lot of sadness in some Beatles songs, but more than that, I would say there's mostly happiness in them. But that doesn't mean that they're devoid of depth. So it's just different ways of approaching sort of the same overall thing, which is like, you know, life being a person, et cetera. And you could do that through many different avenues. But I, I think to just take away depression from something like that Orwell quote or depression from the Radiohead catalog or Tom York's catalog or Elliot Smith is 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 sort of a one dimensional way of looking at it. You know, I don't know when it should really yeah. be looked at in multiple dimensions or layers is what I meant to say. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I agree with that so completely. And it just, for me, like, drives home that as a listener, something about Tom making this very antiseptic, dystopic album, something comes through it that is some of his most personal Mm -hmm. music for me. We'll talk about it as we listen to the music, because I really do want to save this commentary. But there is a a layer of of anger that uh you know i heard that i I do want to wait to commentate on until the music's playing but that i don't know that i would have heard had we not talked to former guest noel brown because of where he pointed out he heard some anger you know whether it's it's there or not you know where he heard it in some of the songs off of moonshape pool and i will say that jumped out to me as a new reading on it this time which is interesting I I I agree about the anger on this album. There there are points where I was like, "Oh, this is the most pissed off I've heard Tom since Hail to the Thief." Yeah. But again, that's th- those that's all under that banner for me of human spirit fighting through all this bullshit that is mm-hmm. layered on top of it. I I really loved that we both got enough out of this album to talk about it for that long. And I'm going to see in the edit, maybe a fun challenge will be to see if I can edit our preamble about the album to 47 minutes, 44 seconds and have it (laughs) match perfectly the runtime. I I think you can, because I intentionally (laughs) did what we talked for a little over 90 minutes so I intentionally did 23 minutes of shit. And then I think you did too. It's combined for 46 minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, this podcast mirrors the arc of the band's career. Yes. That's why our conversation, as far as the listeners will hear, was one of our most cohesive yet. But what do you say? Should we get into the actual album? Yeah, Absolutely. So um, for an album concerned with the repetitive nature and drudgery of modern life, kind of the dreamlike state of doing these same meaningless activities over and over, it starts with a very apt opening track titled Traffic. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like a... Me too. That Very doesn't bottom-y. feel... Yeah, it feels kind of like... Tom's feeling himself a little bit. Yeah. 
Now, I, I'm going to let this play uh, in the background. I'll just start off by saying, like, in a very general sense, I like this song. This is one of the ones that was, like, a grower for me, where I've liked it a lot more as I've continued to listen to the album and how it kind of fits in overall with the statement of this record. This is one of the songs that is featured in the short film. And I do think that uh, it was interesting getting to see Tom's partner in this video. Just because fucking rules i'm sorry <laughs> no not at all not at all i but Zach, that's, did you, that's like, my uh, precise and, and awesome commentary i interrupt you with this song fucking rules no not at all <laughs> not at all i i just was curious though how you reacted to seeing her in the video because i didn't know that she was in this when i sat down to watch it um i had never oh, okay. watched the short film before but as oh, soon okay. as it showed her i was like oh i think that's the yeah. the now mrs tom york I kind of felt like him putting her in this. I loved it. It totally worked. But I also was like, this is kind of like when you like roll out a new romantic partner on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, when you I like, so too. <laughs> <laughs> with like a woman you follow is like, you know, like lunch with this dummy or whatever. And it's like some guy and you're like, oh, okay. I didn't know Ashley was, <laughs> was uh, partnered up. This was, this was Tom's like kind of like casually letting us know not so casually though i guess not i mean it's a pretty big statement i don't know i mean i uh uh you know that was one of the i don't know uh because i listened to the album i did not watch the short film in june of 2019 or july or the following months i didn't watch it until um you really green eggs and hammed it you did not watch it on a train. You did not watch it on a plane. Uh, I watched it in my house. Uh, with a mouse. With a mouse. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I think I watched it in March or April of 2020. So okay. I kind of had time to let the album uh, breathe in my consciousness as just music and then watch it. And actually, I want to, I don't know if this person is a listener to our show, um, but a coworker of mine and a good friend, Danielle Gibson, uh, kind of before we all adjourned to work from home was like, dude, have you watched the anima short film on Netflix? And I was like, no, I've listened to the album though. Like, how dare you? (laughs) But uh, (laughs) don't tell me my business about anima. (laughs) Well, it's just kind of cute because, you know, uh, she, I, you know, Danielle and I've always gotten along over like little pop culture stuff and just gotten along as coworkers, but she just knew what a big radio head head I am. And so she was like, Oh, you haven't watched it. Oh, I loved it. You got to watch it. And, so then, you know, less than a month or so later, I was I was watching it. Uh, and I think I did know at the time that that was his new uh, partner at the time. They have since uh, tied the knot, so no longer living in sin. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they got married and I want to say it was the fall of 2020. But at the time of this uh, release and of the filming of this, they were, you know, a freshly minted couple, so to speak. I think they uh, went public with their relationship, so to speak, in the fall of 2017. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, I got to say, way to go, Tom. She's incredibly beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. Uh, And, you know, he's looking at her very sexily. Well, this this music is a little bit sexy time, Tom. Like you were saying, the eraser might be a little bit sexy time. Uh, I think this, while being a little bit aggressive and angular and harsh... I do think that whether it's the the short film accompaniment, whether it's the fact that we know that they are in fact a couple in real life, 
what uh she you know and and this is another thing too people don't have to fit into some standard of 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 beauty obviously i think we all know that but i do i do really appreciate that this is uh that she's a beautiful woman but her her beauty is somewhat understated i would say in the in the the film itself which i i just really appreciate from a, a style perspective i don't know I want to talk more about that, but I just want to point out this Please. crazy synth jam here at the end really of traffic. Cool. That is really cool. This is again that backloaded quality I'm talking about. Oh yeah, song kind of has one groove the whole time, and then goes into slight crazy town just for the last thirty seconds or so here. And I think it's really oh, it's cool. So cool. Yeah, you know what, Zach? I, I I don't know if it's like me getting soft in my old age or it's just my unadulterated love of Tom York and Radiohead. You know, if it's <laughs> if it's a sycophantic kind of admiration that I have for this man. But it being his romantic partner in real life did make this whole thing hit on another level for me. And I think maybe also because, you know, we just are coming off of discussing... Yeah, a moon-shaped pool and that that is in many ways about the end of a relationship and there's just something about kind of like the rebirth quality of him it just felt really intimate to me that Mm -hmm. this is a romance acted out through dance with him and his actual partner and i'm just like man like Tom York has come a long way in terms of like self-confidence. I mean, like to be the guy who was kind of like talking about his his... girlfriend, waiting for something to happen to now (laughs) showing us that he has a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He's he's taken a script writing class and he's learned about show. Don't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Most literal sense of the. (laughs) That's so funny, dude. I love that you said that because I, I, when I was watching this, that was my internal monologue. As soon as he like, is like kind of eye fucking his girlfriend from across this train. I'm just like, Oh, no longer simply claiming to have a girlfriend that we've never seen hide nor hair of now he's like look at my girlfriend the italian model who looks kind of like a young monica bellucci an understated monica bellucci aka the hottest woman ever on earth (laughs) i I (laughs) could say i could see that yeah and i and i just did want to also validate what you're saying that it's like like external beauty aside i do think that like just kind of in terms of visual aesthetic, she fits the world of this, of this video really well. And yeah, dude, it's just like, you're so right. Going from talking about his girlfriend, waiting for something to happen to having Mm -hmm. the self assuredness to do a 15 minute interpretive dance it's just like that is we have come a long way, baby. I mean, yeah, it, gone are the days of being afraid to even shimmy around on stage. Like if, if he was not committed to this, it would be really embarrassing, but totally. it totally works. And that's what, that's why I think the value in watching it uh, for me, I can only speak for myself multiple times. You know, I do think that the, the, I know the album itself was critically lauded, but as we've talked about with tomorrow's modern boxes, that's not necessarily an indication of at least for just you and I of, of how quote unquote good or how much a, an album might resonate with us. Uh, just because I don't know of a Radiohead or Radiohead adjacent work that has received, you know, negative reviews at this point. And that, that speaks to either how, 
you know talented the the members of the band are and the quality of their work or how much critics just want to you know appear to be right it doesn't matter that was a weird rabbit trail but i just think that the the short film accompaniment really lends itself to multiple watches because that was on my mind the first couple times i'd seen it you know was that it was like a little bit like oh i feel like i'm getting a little bit too much of a personal window into this process, but I don't feel that way. And I do feel like they have uh, good on-screen chemistry. They really are only quote unquote intimate at the very end of the short film, you know, and it's not like they're making out listeners or anything like that. I think that would be a little bit overindulgent and a little bit tough for me. I don't, I don't know, but I, I just think to, to the point you were making about how far Tom has come, you know, we've talked a lot about how, uh, you know, not to objectify anybody, but, you know, the various looks of Tom York, who is a unique and different looking kind of guy. And in this video, you know, he has a man bun. Okay, that's stylish. But, you know, he's not afraid to let his beard gray. From what I can tell, his hair doesn't... If it's dyed, it's only partially dyed, you know, on the very top where it still has retained some of its darker color. He's essentially letting himself go gray. And the other thing that spoke to me was the outfits that he's wearing throughout it are not like super form fitting, like rock star shit. They're like these big, like kind of canvasy raincoats, which I also think is cool because it's playing to the aesthetic and the style of the film itself rather than, you know, Tom York can look cool. When we saw him in concert, he was wearing a leather jacket. He pulls it off nicely. It's not, he's not, um, I forget the lead singer of, of Motley Crue, but he's not, you know, trying to, fit into some mold that is you know that he has passed by necessarily and and i'm not trying to say every single fashion or style choice he makes is perfect and i want to embody but i think in the context of this video and because of how personal and intimate it is i really like the choices he makes that sort of normalize his own looks you know which are not an easy thing to quote unquote normalize i don't know I, I agree. I agree. It's it's he he's owning his shit and it's yeah. and it's and it's awesome and appealing. And yeah, I mean I think the costume like big bags in, under his eyes, even, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, he looks I mean, like I said, like I, I again, I don't mean to state for the tenth time in five minutes how <laughs> attractive uh th- this woman is, but you know, he look he cuts a very unique visual figure next yeah. to somebody who's like conventionally uh, attractive. V- thank you. Conventionally attractive. Yeah. And yeah, I love the costuming in this video too, because to me in my mind, what he and everybody else is wearing, I was like, Oh, this is like government issued work yeah. uniforms. Yeah. Um, big time. I'm going to play the next song called last. I heard he was circling the drain and just to kind of, uh, throw out there the little experiment that I mentioned before that I did kind of imagining this album as the monologue of one singular narrator throughout Mm. that first song traffic combines kind of images of wealth and opulence with images of a totalitarian society. So there's this kind of like harsh contrast there where he's saying things like I can't breathe. There's no water followed by a drip feed foie gras a brick yeah. wall but you're free my favorite part really good and then the chorus yeah. is show me the money party with a rich zombie suck it through a straw party with a rich zombie to me this is kind of describing the beginning of this narrator's journey of going to work going about their business but it's in the service of this idea that they can aspire to something better mm. 
Wow, man, good read on it. I like that. That's that's you know just just a guess. It's it's the image it makes me evoke. This one to me is just the depressing suffocation of the rat race. This is all really down sounding and then the lyrics are just you know swimming through the gutter swallowed up by the city humans the size of rats it's all very Mm -hmm. kind of negative yeah what do do you think about these first two songs well i mean i don't have anything to add on the first one i i really i know that i like the lyrics i like that he invokes uh you know foie gras is that um foie gras is is that raw steak Oh, oh, no, okay. it's yeah, those force-fed geese that it makes their livers balloon up to an unnatural size. And, but uh, it's a very expensive... Very delicious. It's an expensive dish, right? It's a very expensive dish produced That's, in a very barbaric way. Yeah, like like veal or something, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, I like that, that Tom at this point isn't afraid to, you know, we've talked about that, you know, Tom seems to... Tom, and I would say the whole band, seem to hold these very progressive kind of liberal ideas... But you can't escape the fact... By the way, it's not a crime to be wealthy and successful. But, you know, I think for... for I can only speak for myself. Sometimes it's not that I find people that have experienced immense success and continue to use that platform as a, a platform to call attention to the, the, the income inequality of the world. I don't mind that at all. I think that, that, that in a way, you know... Um, there's a certain responsibility of somebody that has received immense success to to speak their mind, whether I agree with those principles or not. You know, I want to say that too. All that being said, I like that Tom isn't afraid to call attention to the idea that he may have been exposed to these really like upper tier echelon ideals, mm-hmm. but he's still sort of like speaking about them in like this disgusted way because yes. it would be annoying. I feel like if Tom York's lyrics were so direct as like, you know, woke up this morning, went to my nine to five, you know, trying to like really relate to like the common man. I like that there's this sort of disconnect, but like this disconcert with what he's been exposed to, you know? Oh, that's so well said, dude. Oh, thank you. I, I, I really like that, you know, because it's like, I don't want, yeah, I just, I don't want this, like this feeling of pretending, you know? And it's like, I know that Tom York can get into all the places, knows all the people and that's fine. You know, that's not, that's 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 part of a byproduct of success, you know. But with with this one, this is we are more into that mode where I can hear the writer's block maybe a little bit. And that's not to say that the repetitive nature of I woke up with a feeling I just could not take is is devoid of any emotion or anything like that. Mm. But you know, when we're talking about the conception and the recording and the lyrical approach to this album, it's so easy to gloss over the sentence of Tom York wrote Anima following a period of depression, anxiety, sadness, and writer's block. It's like, yeah, okay, what else is new? That's the that's the story behind Kid A. That's the story behind, <laughs> you know, a lot of their albums. But it's like, yeah. when you really digest that, and then you try and and you hear that in the music, it's there. And and it just goes to show you that, like, I think for those of us that aspire to write, whether it's, it's music, stories, fucking screenplay, whatever, you know, and Jeff Tweedy talks about this in that book that I lent you that, that I know we both enjoyed a lot, that writer's block is a turn of phrase or a description that is apt, but it's kind of what you do with that. And he doesn't come at it of like, oh, don't be weak. You know, I love the way he approaches really difficult subject matter like that in that book. He's like, use it is basically what he says. If you're experiencing a block, 
incorporate that. And I, I kept thinking of Tom, you know, unsurprisingly, when I was reading that book of because, you know, it is easy to kind of gloss over. Yeah, anxiety, depression. Sure. OK, what else is new? But no, like really ruminate on that and see what he may have taken out of that. I don't know. That's that's kind of what I, occurred to me. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I loved what he said about Writer's Block, too, where it, it was like kind of the idea that Writer's Block is a term that you've made up to describe not writing. What it actually might be is you just might not write anything good. And he's like, okay, like I have writer's block. I'm going to, I'm going to like look around at things in my room and write like a free verse poem about it. And then he puts that on the page and he's like, okay, so that's not good. That's not a song, (laughs) but I wrote, so I guess I don't have writer's block anymore. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah it's dude. interesting that you call that out about this song um or not call out i know you're not yeah you're it's not a call out but yeah this this one is maybe a little more lyrically and and musically in a little more of that kind of like vaguely tom york category it's a little I everything really... in its right place for me a little bit interesting oh you woke mean up just sucking like on taking... a lemon sure just short sure. standards and repeating them, but giving you a different feeling. And I, I mean, and I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, not at all. Just that, that I woke up uh, with a feeling I just could not take, you know, it's, it's pretty direct and it's, but you know, how many times when you're going through a period of anxiety or maybe you have a, an awful night and you just want to get some sleep. And then that brief moment when you wake up, everything's clear for a second. And then it cut all the, the shit comes rushing back to you. You know, the argument you had the night before, whatever the dilemma you're experiencing is. And that's, that's kind of what it reminded me of is, you know, going to sleep at midnight, two in the morning or whatever, after sorting through an issue, either with another person or in your own personal life, going to sleep. And then you wake up and you're clear for that brief moment. Everything rushes back to you. Kind of like when Marty wakes up, you know, uh, Oh, I just had the most terrible dream. Oh, well, you you know, you're, you're back home in, in uh, 1955 or wherever the fuck, you know, it, it, that's what it reminds me mm-hmm. of a, a little bit. And I love it. I love that he's able to evoke so such, specific imagery whether in my own life or from something else i've seen and in, in in just repeating the same stanza in this case what five times four times it's really cool yes and that's a song for me that uh is one that has taken me a while to come around to fully loving but i really really love now but Again, I say we're two tracks in. I feel very, very positively about both of these first two tracks. Yet in my mind, the album is still kind of not really kicked in to its full power. Uh, So let's keep it moving. And the next song is a very electronic and kind of dancey groove that it starts out with. This one is called Twist. Shake it up, baby, now! (laughs) Ferris Bueller is at the music video. (laughs) Now, this is very clubby for Tom York to have a song called Twist that, you know, the, the, the main beat of is a sample of him saying the word Twist. Talk about yes, direct. So, this is this is more yeah. direct than I think he would kind of dare to be in a lot of his work up to this point. How do you feel about that? Do you does this one work for you? Oh, it totally works for me. I think of it as a little bit. Let's see. This one is this is the seven minute and three second track, correct? Yes. Well, let me yeah. Check. So this one. 
this one is a little bit on the long side, but I think that as an interlude, it, it does a nice job. After the way you described the first two are, are totally on the money for me. You know, they're they're darker in tone. I'm engaged musically. I'm engaged in the lyrics, you know. Um, maybe not my very, very first listen, but I felt that way for quite some time. Um this this song is not in the short film, correct? The short film I know hops around. The short film goes not the news, traffic, yep. and then Don Chorus. Yeah, so I, and I we like, have not heard not the news. We have not heard any of those yet except traffic. So it it, it reshuffles the order of those three. Yeah, and uh, you know I've been listening to this one on vinyl. It's just the album itself. It's really cool, and and I really like. Uh, you know, I I don't. I'm not trying to say like vinyl's a privilege or anything like that. I mean, a, a basic record player and setup is not that expensive. But I think listening to Tom York solo music on vinyl <laughs> maybe is a little bit of a privilege in that it is something to do if you have quite a bit of time. <laughs> yeah, no? and I just know well, you that you, know you got to have at least 47 minutes, 44 seconds to get through this one. Yeah, and you got to have a tolerant housemate, you know. And I'm not saying that they have to be tolerant because it's bad, but it is, it's a very specific thing. And I think that this song was really cool for that, you know, whether it's on headphones or listening to it on vinyl. Oh, see, I love this part so much. It's really, really cool because it just, it serves as, I don't know if interlude is necessarily the correct wording, but I, I think that's kind of how I would describe it. And there's just a lot of cool noises. And I like the way the percussion, digital or not, is mixed in on this album so much more than I would say on Tomorrow's Modern Boxes because it's not oppressive. It's kind of my general thoughts. Oh, I agree. I think the production. I think that the the Nigel of it all on this album is is really really stellar. I think the yeah. choices of when things change and are cut. You know, I'm sure that's collaborative between him and Tom all really really work and this song where you where where you just paused and went ah oh, i really like this part again that's what i'm talking about i liked what came before it but i like it so much more when it makes this mm-hmm. switch into something a little weirder mm-hmm. it just made me like kind of this is one where the songs are repetitive without ever feeling repetitive to me there's always yeah. just like kind of enough careful decision making around the vocal melodies and the noises that mm-hmm. they're adding and subtracting that I don't get bored, even though they do kind of all stay steady for the most part. Yeah, I loved what you said too earlier like when we were just kind of uh, uh, just breaking into talking about our feelings on the album, how you said that it might be intentionally backloaded and even within the songs themselves oh this part is so cool and even um and and what that in that way what it reminds me of is the king of limbs Mm. and and you know i mean it's 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 radiohead uh the songs are all authored by tom york you know in their lyrical approach i understand that radiohead is collaborative and this is a solo venture but i think it's really cool you know i brought up the Suspiria soundtrack and the film specifically and how I felt like they were kind of intertwined stylistically. And, and there's something about the musicality on this song and a couple others where I'm like, Oh yeah, that, you know, may sound like tomorrow's modern boxes. Parts of it may sound like the eraser. Well, of course they're both produced by Nigel Godrich and Tom York uh, wrote the music essentially, 
But in a way, though, I think this has a little bit more of a horror vibe, especially this song that, mm-hmm. you know, Suspiria is not the greatest movie, in my opinion. I really enjoyed elements of it. But I just I think it's really cool to follow an artist's career and, and dive this to this level of depth, whether I'm I'm right or whether it's just me meshing those things or not doesn't really matter to me. It's really cool to see, like, how from one year to the next, what the the work they previously did may sort of be like influencing and interweaving into their their new work you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely oh, and like yeah i mean i like that you said that this one sounds kind of horror i agree uh you know talking of these songs not losing their dynamic qualities even though they can be somewhat repetitive this one to me, and I don't know for a fact, but this to me sounds like two different songs that they decided to stick together. Yeah. yeah. And to doing that is sometimes a choice that really pays off and sometimes it sounds a little labored. In this case, I think it really, really works. And again, I think it works so well because this song's seven minutes long. The backbeat never changes. We're never changing mm-hmm. tempo but I don't ever get bored of either thing. It kind of like, again, in that kind of Kubrickian, I'm watching The Shining. Mm -hmm. How long have I been watching this guy just wander around this hotel before some shit starts going down way? This one changes to something very ominous right when I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I need to hear that vocal sample of him saying twist anymore. And it goes into this whole other like deeply melancholy and like kind of scary section. And again, rewards you for kind of hanging on through that first four minutes. Yeah. And and in that way, Walker, what this song uh, reminds me of in its structure, you know, there's a lot of great Radiohead songs that are two parts. My favorite being uh, They're There. You know, They're There is, is distinctly a two part song. But if you break that down, there's really eight parts to it because, or maybe not eight, you know, but like you have a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, then you have the coda that repeats twice. So I guess that'd be a six part song. But in essence, you could divide it into two sections. And the way this song kind of hits me is more in the Dex Dark way, in that it kind of stays at this low hum, Dex Dark from a Moonshape Pool, the third track. Uh, it kind of stays in this low hum. And, and I love that whole first part. In any old life, but then it goes into this other. Duh, duh, duh. It's not as bombastic of a coda as they're there, but we're kind of just like staying where you're like, ooh, we twisted, and and you evoked like The Shining or Kubrickian the way he does that. It's kind of the way like I think about The Shining is The Shining has so much like powerful imagery, but you can kind of get lost in this lull of where I'm creeped out, but I'm not. But then that bathroom scene where you know I don't want to labor over this point too much, but where the N word is spoken and it's it's it's. It's not, I, I don't want to go too far down that, but that, that scene is so powerful because you have Grady talking about the murder of his own family, putting it on Front Street. You have the use of, of one of the most offensive racial slurs in existence, and it's done with a lot of intentionality, and it just snaps you right back into what you're supposed to be watching and paying attention to. Somehow and, all the ugliness that is bubbling under yes. the surface of this place is, is right in your face. Yeah, and I don't, I don't actually mind, you know, comparing it to The Shining because it's like, you know, I was just talking about how, like, I think Tom's work uh, composing a soundtrack for a horror film, like, influenced it. And, and, and yeah, and I just feel like this song does a really nice job of lulling you into this, like, false sense of security and then popping. And it does end on a little bit of a brighter thing. And I think Dex Dark does that in such a great way. And, and I think this song does, too. 
Yes. And even though I do think that scene in The Shining is very powerful and well executed, I'm glad that Tom doesn't use a racial slur to achieve the same effect in this. <laughs> no, <movie>. Certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> you Should wanker. <laughs> you stupid git. You prat. <laughs> you bellend. Um, shall we listen to <laughs> yes, the please. next song? This is, as I said before, my favorite song on the album and uh, hot take, I think, maybe the crowning achievement of Tom's solo work so far. Ooh. Don Chorus. It's a baked potato hot take. I love it. You, should, you gotta put that shit on Reddit before somebody else does. Hot take. <laughs> Don Chorus is a great song. It's funny to say hot take and then just say something like positive. Because <laughs> hot well, take usually the- means I'm about to take this thing everybody adulates down a notch. Oh, I mean, in terms of Radiohead Reddit, though, I think hot take usually means I'm about to give a positive opinion. That's something that is not generally seen as the best is the best. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, I was really disappointed in the success or lack thereof of my hot take post on Radiohead Reddit. Hey, man, you know, we're we're throwing a lot of shit at the wall on Radiohead Reddit and uh, as well covered on this podcast. You know, <laughs> it's they, it hasn't all been appreciated in its time. Now, this song, I, I really if we're talking about kind of feelings you know, and I want to let you speak to it because you said it's your favorite. But just kind of what I'll say right off the top. I don't know, man. It's hard. I mean, it's like in terms of like feelings it evokes where it's like a feeling of optimism, but albeit shrouded in a lot of melancholy and darkness, I would say it really kind of reminds me of like the way Eyes Wide Shut makes me feel, especially juxtaposed to something like Full Metal Jacket and The Shining where I'm like, man, there there is sort of just like a more human quality to it. It's more sort of just like going through the motions in a way that I can relate. You know, I'm married, you know, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm living my life. I'm not a doctor. I'm not in Manhattan. I'm not wealthy, but I can relate to these things, but it's still shrouded in, in a lot of thought and darkness. Um, but, but not in the same way that those other films maybe are, uh, I don't want to keep going one-to-one comparisons. That's probably the last time I'll try and do it, but that's the, maybe the only way I can describe it personally, but I I really dig this song. I love that. It's so high for you. I'd love to hear you, you speak on it. I mean, I get a very similar very similar set of images from it that you're speaking to you know this is like in my mind another anthem of suburban ennui similarly to no surprises way back on okay computer kind of evoking these these images of familial security or financial success but imbuing them with all this sadness you know but where no surprises sounds more overtly negative or depressed. This one does have a certain underlying optimism, but it's kind of a resigned optimism. But, you know, this song for me is really the centerpiece of the album, both literally and narratively, thematically. It's where the anxiety that is kind of nonstop on this record reaches a peak and gives way to something more calm. Mm-hmm. I kind of picture the narrator of this song walking out of their door in the early morning. Mm-hmm. They're greeted by the dawn chorus of birds and 
they find themselves questioning all the choices they've made and that have been made for them to lead them to this place. And they don't necessarily like what they find themselves stuck in. But I also feel that as they've walked out the door, they're, they've left someone or someones inside that they love and they've decided to do this every day and they've decided to go out and face it all again as a trade-in for this love and security, but they're not sure that it's worth it or that they want it anymore. Yeah. And it kind of leaves open this question of like, is the narrator going to disappear and leave all this behind and like free themselves from this hamster wheel of like capitalist society? Or will they kind of face another day of indignity and bullshit with the hope of returning to something warm and that human connection? Man, that's so powerful. I mean, it's it. it this song really gets me because I I'm not sure that they want to be free of it if they really could, you know, or if they even know who they are outside of the constructs that they've built this life on. And I think that that's really really put front and center with the fact that Tom's voice is half human, half robot. Totally. You know, it's like the narrator's inner humanity is fighting to be heard among this din of like work, bills, traffic, and electronics. Yeah. And at the end, we even get these birds that it's the sound of this chorus of birds, but they're electronically manipulated. And uh, yeah, this song makes me very emotional and it Mm -hmm. made me cry when it was used (laughs) in the short film. But that's that's what it says. It's used in the twilight of the short film, correct? Yeah, it's how it ends. And it's like when they find each other, you know? Yeah. And they're doing this dance on the bus and it and it yeah. feels like it's this like acknowledgement of love. Yeah, and it's so it's so beautiful too because they just sort of like interlink and and um and like their foreheads touch. You know, it's a very intimate romantic thing, but you know, as I said before, it's not that they're they're, you know, furiously making out or whatever. And and I don't know because they didn't put that on film. I don't know how that would resonate. I tend to think it would be a little bit kind of like, Ugh, you know, but I love just what you were honing in on as far as like whether, you know, I, I really love how much you're able to derive from what he's writing. And in that way, a lot of what you said about this is, this is me resummarizing. I'm not saying this is what you said exactly, but like the, the implementation and familiarity with technology and capitalist society, the acceptance of that, but simultaneously like resenting it mm-hmm. really reminds me of a lot of the themes that are present on Amnesiac, you know, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily on Kid A. That's where I think Amnesiac really juxtaposed itself from Kid A is Kid A is sort of this like grandiose resentment of, of climate change and the lack of the Western world addressing that properly you know, to Tom, um, I tend to agree with a lot of his observations, but Amnesiac is sort of shrinking that down, um, starting with uh, Packed Like Sardines in a Crushed in Box. And I got a lot of this from our discussion. I'm not saying that, like, this is the re- correct read on the album, but, you know, I'm a reasonable man. Get off my case. You know, you talked about how that's sort of like being on the subway, going to work, you know, or just functioning in the bullshit minutia that is society in the modern world. And I think it's easy to get into a place, I can only speak for myself mentally, of being like, fuck this, fuck that, you know. But then also you have to step back and be like, hang on, you know, I may be coming at this from a place of privilege, but like by and large, you know, I have access to if if I break my leg, I'm not going to die from that, you know. Um, I can go to the emergency room. Whether that ruins me financially or not, that's a different story. But I can live in a world where 
a minor accident. I can sit at a computer. I can have this conversation with you, you know? And I think that's what Amnesiac is really talking about in like pull, pull revolving doors, you know, where it's like these, these, these lyrics em- that seem to be emanated by a robot, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, I feel like I've sort of strayed away from what you were saying. I don't mean to say that this is what you were saying, but it, it reminds me a lot of that tonally. No, I don't think that you've gotten away from it at all. I mean, I think that you kind of keep keen in on the laying out of contradictions that are on yeah. this album. And 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 I I think that that's a really really nice facet to what's going on here cuz again, when I I see this person in Don Chorus you know, it's a moment that the album kind of stops to like wonder, like, what does all this mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and do I want any of this? But I don't see it as somebody who's like, oh, I wish I could leave my family. I see it more as exploring the idea of like, you have this human instinct mm-hmm. to want a family, but you end up with a mortgage and a minivan, you know? <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah. And and it's kind of like the simultaneous resentment and appreciation of yeah. that whole idea. It's like, did I want all this shit or do I want the idea that it represents? And what's the mm-hmm. idea that it represents? And to me, this album, especially because of the short film, the big idea that it keeps getting at is like the love that we're looking mm-hmm. for underneath all of this. Mm-hmm. And I guess I mean love as a stand-in for just humanity or human connection, like not necessarily mm-hmm. romantic love, but just, yeah, uh, of of like, and and kind of, like I said, I picture the person going to work, kind of going, I could just, I could just run into the woods and go be an mm-hmm. animal, mm-hmm. but I guess I'll do this one more day for mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, I'm going to come back to something nice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, after I, years I, I of waiting, it, nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, yeah, exactly. I was looking in the wrong place. I mean, it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all a million, it's all a million ways of saying kind of the same three things with Tom York, but they are three things that I will be happy to listen to him say until the end of time. Uh, no, absolutely, dude. I mean, he's definitely honing in on the same things. And I mean, it, even as we don't have to belabor this point, but I got so much out of what you and Noel, but really you honestly, I mean, honed in on as far as your read on the song present tense, which is maybe a little bit more near term in terms of the writing, you know, just about kind of like fighting in your body, fighting within yourself, you know, and, and, and yeah, like I say, I mean, they, things don't have to align. It's not like I, I can be in the mind of Tom York and know like, oh, he was specifically talk. A lot of this comes from the soul, you know? But I think with somebody like Tom who who doesn't write these, you know, Bob Dylan-like songs that are, you know, mm-hmm. anthemic or whatever. Stories. Yeah, it is really cool to sort of like see just the recurrent themes. Yeah, d- mm-hmm. Anyways, that, yeah, I don't know. And, and listeners, go back and listen to our episode with Noel Brown <laughs> to, to hear kind of what Walker got out of a lot of the lyrics written in, in present tense. But yeah, I got, I was really calling back to Amnesiac on this song and all the way up to the uh, Radiohead album uh, and that song specifically. So I don't know. I love it. I love that you're, con- you know, connecting kind of the the present day with the past that we've come from with with Tom mm-hmm. York and Radiohead. And if that song is about stopping to wonder what it all means, contemplate perhaps breaking free 
of the cycles that you find yourself stuck in. The next track, in my mind, I am a very rude person, is about getting your nose back to that grindstone. Yeah. And going back to work. Mm-hmm. The refrain that's repeated a lot in this song is, you don't mean a thing, but it won't bother me. That, to me, is very much in the vein of those, I'm a reasonable man, get off my case type of lyrics that Tom loves to kind of snottily spit back at you. And I think turning something insipid like that into a song lyric kind of underlines... The, the meaninglessness of these things mm-hmm. that we say to each other all the time. Yeah, you got to get your head in the game, you know. I mean, whatever. You know, maybe we, you and I right. specifically. Working hard or this. hardly working. Exactly, yeah. And it's like sometimes, you know, you know, I've mentioned that uh, I, I have a, uh, I work for a corporation and, and I've had a really positive experience with, with the bosses I've had, you know. And I say that, uh, I don't think anyone I work with has, is listening to this, but I do feel very, very fortunate in that way, you know, and, and maybe I, uh, that has to do with, you know, my place in, in life. Regardless, sometimes uh, not being somebody who says like, get your head in the game or whatever, but sometimes those type of phrases can resonate differently depending on the mood I'm in. Sometimes it could be like, fuck you, you know, if that's <laughs> the encouragement I'm given. But most of the time I know what's behind that, you know, and I don't unpack it that way. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, uh, business jargon is what I'm trying to say, you know? Yes. But I love the way Tom can call attention to the silliness of that <laughs> yes. by just saying it, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's something he's always been able to do, and I just love it. Yes. I mean, it reminds me of like office space, you know? When, yeah, when yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> would you ever say to somebody, it looks like you have the case of the Mondays? Like, <laughs> Hell no, man. <laughs> somebody said that to me i'd probably kick their ass <laughs> like, yeah yeah i'm gonna need you to come in today yeah, yeah it's not a half day i love it when he's when he's leaving up the voicemail or the message on his answer machine when he's not coming on a saturday and he's like yeah it's not a half day <laughs> <laughs> also just the that movie i i was gonna say it's underrated it, it's such a cult yeah, favorite i think it's pretty, pretty appreciated beloved. yeah yeah <laughs> But I mean, I guess it just was a bomb at the time, kind of oh, yeah. cr- critically and cr- but yeah, the like the steady addition of noises that like drive him insane. It is that uh, just a moment, just a moment, <laughs> and it's like, dude, I, I, and it's and that it, the struggle is real, man. I, I was yeah. taking tickets at a comedy show the other night, a place I'm happy to be a show that I'm excited to be doing, having great interactions with people as they're coming in. Everyone's excited to see the show, all all this stuff. But after like four people, I found myself switching into this rhythm where I said the same two sentences in the exact same rhythm. It's just like, it is scary kind of how quickly we become robots <laughs> well i think that's okay when though, we're because, doing like, menial I, tasks no i struggle with that too and i think what's what's okay is like and again like i'll take this back to uh having like a more corporate type job having that kind of job where i don't mean to make it sound like i'm answering the phone but i it is, it is beholden it is uh, incumbent upon me to embody that type of behavior to a degree 
And I think what's really important, we can't escape that. And this kind of ties into, I think, what Tom is speaking to. We can't escape the necessity of doing that in modern society, whether you work for a corporation or you whatever. Like That is incumbent upon us to a degree. But I mm-hmm. think resetting yourself and checking yourself of like, have I fallen into this rhythm of robotics is really, really mm-hmm. crucial because you can't wholly avoid that whether it's customer service, whether it's writing an email, whether it's taking tickets, whatever, you know? And it's okay to be sickened by that every now and then. But I think just having that conversation with oneself can really go a long way. You know, hey, I found this rhythm and that's okay and people like it, but I need to reset and not just make sure that I'm I'm purely being robotic. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The humanity fighting through the automized robot behavior. Mm-hmm. Again, it it all ties back to the the dream that the technology dream that Tom has put us in on Anima. This next track, in my opinion, is a fucking banger, and it is yes. called "Not the News." Those opening notes to me almost sound mm-hmm. like a TV news jingle. Oh, big and time. it immediately gives way to something quite Well, it's, it reminds me of a TV news jingle, but with like one of the layers cut out. Oh, okay. So it's like yeah. that, that yeah, doesn't yeah. like, you know, I can almost picture the logo of uh, a certain network, we'll just say, uh, that uses the colors blue and red a lot. And uh, that by invoking those colors, I'm talking about all of them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, it's like they have this like very like da-da-da-da, but like, if you took out one of those layers, that's kind of what it reminds me of. But removing one of those layers makes it a lot more creepy, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it 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 starts with and now it's that yeah, and it's just it's so evocative of like kind of you know. Um, I want to be careful when I invoke Orwell because as you've really uh, uh, astutely pointed out, like people on all sides of the political aisle will invoke Orwell and I'm not coming at it from the side of a political aisle, but it does, you know, one thing that he speaks so strongly to, and I'm thinking specifically in 1984 is, you know, two minutes hate, you know, the responsibility that is, is mandated or not to participate in this live stream all the time. Uh, it can really just be creepy when you think about it, you know, for a minute. And there's there's so many authors and, and, and movies and stuff that commentate on this so much more eloquently than I am right now. But I think that, and this is just a feeling, but I think that dejection with modern media is certainly something that, that Tom has spoken to directly. No, not in his music. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this song really evokes, obviously the name is going to tilt me that way. You know, but uh, intentional or not, it really just makes me feel that sort of like makes my skin crawl about like, and I'm not somebody that has the news on all day. I try not to doom scroll. We certainly don't have it on in our TV in our house, but you can't escape it, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. And the news is such a generic term now too, yeah. or or yeah. what or what is to quote the name of the song, not the news, right? Yeah. Everything is and isn't news. And he right. said in that quote that we read, you know, I mean, God, it's it, it's so hard to not immediately slip into cliche when you make a critique of us all living on our phones. Yeah, but it is a it is a fact of modern life that everyone is contending with in one way or another, and that constant flow of information 
that can be impossible to verify and is yeah. so curated to your yeah. pre-contained biases yep. is not the news. <laughs> yes. And, wow. Well and, said, man. Very well yeah, said. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I think that this song, like a lot of the album, it's just calling out the contradictions that this person is living in. Like, who are these people? I'm in black treacle. Treacle being like a sweet dessert. The image of black treacle is so cool. And I'm guessing there's probably an allusion to the black screen that we're all staring into all the time there. Sure. Um, but, man, when those strings kick in, mm-hmm. I, it just really hits for me. This one is like... I love this song. Oh, this one like gets me like pumped up when and again, it's about three minutes into the song when really anything other You're than about the that strings kind we just of, heard. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And part up to so that much. point, it's kind of all blips and bloops. And it's yeah. blips and bloops that I really like, but again, it's like backloaded. It's like, yeah, you're you're kind of like, oh yeah, I'm in a Tom York Electronica song. Mm-hmm. And then this huge, scary, massive foreboding string section gives the melody that he's singing so much oomph that I would not have even known was there until those dark chords are kind of underscoring it. Yeah. And this is where I feel like Nigel is really, really uh, bringing his best as a producer and, and Tom too. I know it's a collaborative process. You know, I think I've, I've jokingly said uh cringe when I picture, you know, Tom and Nigel DJing. I, 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 I hope nobody that, you know, uh, finds that that as an art form, you know, really inspiring and awesome was offended by that because I do know that it is an art form. You know, uh, I like to watch Shaquille O'Neal DJ. You know, I like to I, I've honestly just not spent time watching, you know, video footage of Tom and Nigel DJing. But I really do think that you hear that level of experience and aptitude like kind of on display in that song where it is sort of just this electronic, like repetitive focus song. But as you said, when the strings come in, it really brings a lot of oomph to it to the point where it reminds me of like Cashmere by Led Zeppelin or something like that, you know, albeit maybe a little bit more tasteful, but yeah, it's just a really, really cool song. And and this is the value I think of like listening to this kind of music, dissecting the lyrics, understanding that, that your appraisal, your take on it might be just within you. Not saying that this is exactly what the songwriter was intending, and 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 listening to it and kicking around with other people because I'm not saying that you'll have the reaction that you'll like it more and that's what you need to do. Some stuff is good and some stuff is bad, but I don't know. I just I really liked your take on it and and it it really is just enhancing the value of this album to me. This next song is called The Axe. Now, if I am a very rude person was the kind of like keeping my head down, working at the office, you know, working hard or hardly working phase of the album. This is the Steven Root, where's my stapler? I'm going to burn the building down moment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This you one's very angry. It. Yeah. <laughs> Another great moment when after he tells him he's moving his office again, the tag of the CEO. Oh! There's my staple. Yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and <laughs> take that. Oh, I know it's so <laughs> the <exciting>. final indignity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is really angry lyrics. Starts out, goddamn machinery. 
Why don't you speak to me? One day I'm going to take an axe to you. The pitter-patter, what does it matter? And where's that love you promised me? And then the chorus, I thought we had a deal. And again, I, I just think I just really am in love with your comparison to Packed Like Sardines. Sure. Because, again, that I thought we had a deal to me, Packed Like Sardines in a crushed tin box and the refrain of I'm a reasonable man get off my case it means the same thing here as I thought we had a deal which is hey I played your game Mm -hmm. I went to the right school I got the right job I got the white Mm -hmm. picket fence the perfect family where where is that love I thought we had a deal Mm -hmm. you know what it reminds me of a lot I would say in title yes absolutely you know we've talked about I think Pink Floyd the group in a positive light and then we've talked a lot about some of our our uh, distaste for Roger Waters, you know, not entirely, but like, yeah, he could be a little bit overindulgent. And certainly some of the comments he's made about, you know, some of the global world conflict uh, d- d- disagrees with us, I would say. You know, I'm confident speaking for both of us in that respect. But in, in, a, in a way, would you say that's accurate, by the way, as a summary? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he, like, he cares about issues that I actually care about quite a bit but i i think he's uh has a uh a very imprecise touch and is at best insensitive in how he characterizes things and and sometimes i get a sense of more over prejudice and how he characterizes things thank you in that way but that aside i would say totally what some of this album is really reminding me of is like a whole era of Pink Floyd from metal. One of these days, I'm gonna chop you. What is it? One of these days, I'm gonna um, chop chop you up into little. Pieces. It, it, there's something about some of the tone of this album that made me think of that, and then made me think of certain aspects of like uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, all the way up through the wall. And it, and I think that I just wanted to call attention to the fact that like I think Walker and I both probably love different aspects of Pink Floyd's golden era. But also, I think that when we're talking about influences on Tom York and Radiohead, you know, I brought up Peter Gabriel. I can't put that aside. I really hear a lot of Peter Gabriel kind of influencing just Tom York's overall vibe, maybe not sound necessarily, although I do think that's there too. hear a lot of like kind of sort of the lower hums of Pink Floyd, not money, not time, those, those songs that I love, but sort of those interlude tracks on the wall that I frankly, not all of them, but frankly love. And, you know, like, um, I've got a little black book with my poems in it. Uh, what is the name of that song? Uh, uh, nobody nobody home. home. Yeah, Nobody Home. And and just, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go through track by track, but I was just, it's okay if you don't have anything to add to that. But I just wanted to call attention to, I think some of Roger Waters' greatest songwriting is in the interlude tracks. I and, 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 and I hear some of that on this album. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I I think that I think that they're dissatisfied with a lot of the same things, and I, I just think I just think Tom York is just a supremely more talented songwriter. Totally, I think I think though in that way, and this is just my opinion. You know, I think where Roger Waters might not get—I don't want to say he doesn't get enough credit—but some of the tracks on the wall that deal with like maybe thoughts of self-harm and a complete and total dejection with society and fame. 
I think are pretty original and new to music at that time. Not that people weren't commenting on sadness or the world around them, but just the tone. And and I and I just think that 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 is something that I think Radiohead specifically have refined, but I think is really really cool on the wall. And I hear a little bit uh, tonally in this album. Anyways, I don't need to belabor the point. Yeah. I just wanted to call for it sure. I think this song is so great. I love this kind of like house music beat in the background. It's cool. This sounds to me too, listening to it now, this groove that we're hearing, I think might be, and it could be, it could be a synth, but I feel like this could be a guitar part that has been electronically manipulated. Oh, big time. Yeah. It's hard to know. I mean, I, 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 uh, as with the last Tom York solo album, there's not a lot of guitar to be heard on this album. Not a ton of guitar on the eraser either, but I would say definitely it's more recognizable. It's silly. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, Walker, tell them what it's from. <laughs> uh, that is from the Ministry of Silly Walk sketch on, <laughs> on Monty Python. Which I recently showed to my nine-year-old, and he That's loved good, it. In particular? Yeah, so I just was like, I just explained, <laughs> I just was like, okay, the only thing you need to know to enjoy this sketch is that uh, England has a much more functioning and bureaucratic government than we do, and they've got all these different departments for different stuff, and they're making fun of the idea of what if they had a governmental department that specifically registered silly walks. Well, I forget is it I forget who our big character is, but that's my favorite part because it's John Cleese very serious behind the desk, but when he gets up and he does his insane that's silly the, walk. It's <laughs> that's the it's best part. it's the hugest you scream because that's he's so, so serious, but then he goes, "The problem is good, sir," and then starts doing the most <laughs> insane walk you've ever seen around the office while delivering this monologue (laughs) yeah it's it's unreal it's it's i think one of the biggest payoffs in any comedy sketch ever is when he gets up and starts doing that and also everyone's played their part so brilliantly too because michael palin's thing too is like he's aspiring he's distraught to, that he can't <laughs> yes he and he's like he's like really he's sweaty and really eager he's very nervous he's very eager to show that he has this new silly walk. like the way they play they take such an insane concept <laughs> and play it so real is amazing now we're almost Absolutely. to the end to the end of this album um we've got two tracks left this one is called impossible knots now, thematically, I I would say that this covers similar ground as some of the other ones where this one is kind of more of a nose back to the grindstone type of song. Mm-hmm. I'm heading in the wrong direction. I can't make the big connection. But in my line of business, there's no room for mess. I'll take anything you got. I'll take anything you got. I guess the thing that I would point out about this song that's interesting to yep. me is... We clearly spent some time with Flea, didn't we? I, 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 I was looking to see if he got any credits. I know jo- uh, Joey uh, Warnker, um, I think, provided percussion on uh, one or two tracks on this album. So we have like I a believe re- maybe the last one. I yeah, like on a reassemblage axe. of 
some of the but man dude i was thinking the same thing and 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 only in the most recent listens because when i first was diving into this album back in 2019 and 2020 i had not spent any time with uh adams for peace or any substantial time but man i was like this baseline is groovy as, as shit and it does sound very flea but i didn't see him in the credits anywhere no, I, I. That's so funny, dude. I was like, oh my gosh, is this a leftover from the Adams for Peace jam session that they built a new yeah. song around? But no, it's 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 Tom because they definitely would have credited him. If, and and now we know from the smile that Tom is uh, super adept on the bass guitar as yeah. he is on on the guitar and piano. Uh, but this is a this is a funky track, and uh, there is. Someone it's a busier baseline though than I than I usually hear in the smile, and I think that's just because it's isolated. You know, I'm still not great at hearing the bass. I would say maybe that might be something that I think you have a little bit better of a tendency to do when we're listening to music together. And I think that just comes from experience. You know, I think the bass is really something that you start to hear without isolating it. Maybe if you played it a little bit more, you could really gain an appreciation for how much goes into playing the bass guitar. But yeah, I mean, it just fe- feels a little faster and a little busier than, totally. than what I've heard on the smile from Tom. It's not a it's not a call in. It's it's more of a flea. And so I I I mean, listen to this. So tasty. So I like to think that flea rubbed off on on Tom a little bit on this one. Um, but you know who is featured on this song, Zach, is the bald king himself, Phil Selwyn. That's right. Yeah. So this drum loop is a sped up drum loop of, of Phil. I wish you would I think song and provided vocals too, though. How awesome would that have yeah. been? Yeah, and <laughs> written all the songs on this album. <laughs> I, I think this song rules. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's tough and we don't need to do it to rank songs, but I would say this is, this is a, a tug of war in the two spot for me as far as my second. I know what my favorite song is. What's your favorite? Um, traffic. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, what What about traffic? Is it just a, just? I mean, I think the imagery. Is just your favorite, or? No, I think the imagery of the the short film is really kind of laid in my mind. Whether it's properly synced or not, doesn't really matter. But I think the visual accompaniment really helps. Uh, kind of the melody, you know, air quotes around melody sort of resonate. Uh, I really like the words. I just I think it's a really strong opening statement, and it's hard to pick out a favorite song in this album because there, unlike tomorrow's modern boxes, there isn't a song that I dislike. Yeah. So you know it really does sort of work as sort of one kind of journey, you know, um, which is different. You know, on the eraser, I I just I love I love the eraser. There's not a single song I dislike, but I have my my top three songs for sure on Adams for Peace and Muck. I have my top three songs. This one is more of a journey for me. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the concepts that we've honed in on, you know, together or independent or whatever, but it, it really does. And probably because of that short film accompaniment too, right? It really is more narrative for me, but yeah, I would say traffic just stands out the most and that might change too. I, I, I think this is one of my favorites. I agree with you. This, this one is like, there's only favorites, no least favorites, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think this whole thing just, works so well the way it's put together obviously i already stated don chorus is my favorite but i i think in the number two spot it would be that last one impossible knots and not the news not the news just something about that one just gets me like pumped maybe that that 
it's just yeah it's just like just evil sounding now this last song is called runway away stylized all together as one word opens up with the most recognizable guitar sounds that we've heard on this album kind of a hunting bears type of groove a little bit mm, mm-hmm Very wow! That, very such a good call, Walker. I love that. I love it. Now, Zach, I know we're pretty early in this one, and it builds into something quite different. But what are your feelings about "Runway Away" as a closing track? Well, you evoked hunting bears. What I was thinking of when I've been listening to it is the song. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the the Tool album um, Ten Thousand Days." This song has a very atmospheric tool vibe to it. And, and that sure, might be the first sure, time sure. I've ever, you know, evoked tool. But uh, that, that is my favorite tool album, listeners. It's, it's uh, whatever your feelings are on that band is totally fine. But I would say uh, if you haven't dipped your toe in the tool pool, uh, <laughs> try that album. <laughs> Uh, it has a very, it has very atmospheric vibes in that way, and, and uh, I think that just speaks to the dynamics of them as a band. We're not talking about Tool. I love this song a lot. It's, it's a really great one, and I love that it's on the heels of Impossible Knots, where we had a more bass guitar-driven song. Now we're we're starting off with the guitar sort of to lead us in, right? It's really, really, really cool. Yes, and it builds very much into not a guitar song, becomes more of a kind of collage of electronic noise with a computerized voice that you're hearing now saying, this is when you know who your real friends are. Now, Zach, I think this ends the album on a very pessimistic note, thematically, because it kind of feels like the persistence of the human spirit that has been fighting through this kind of dystopia has been defeated and it's given way to the machines that are oppressing us. And I mean Mm -hmm. machines both in the literal sense and in the broader sense of systems of oppression. Mm -hmm. And in the matrix sense, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very much. (laughs) You know, this computerized voice saying, this is when you know who your real friends are. It has this... uh, very mm, authoritarian kind of feel to it and it makes me think that in the world of anima that technology war wage slavery famine Mm -hmm. pollution and endless growth have kind of run away run amok and won it feels kind of like if okay computer ended with fitter fitter happier yeah, you know what it, I love, man. I love the 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 themes that you're able to pull out, whether it's from something you read or, or something that occurred to you. I just think that 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 is really like a cool a cool skill that you have. Uh, so I just want to compliment that. And I I uh, yeah, man. And uh, for me, I I kind of was shrinking it down in my mind. And I talked about how Noel in our episode with him on a moonshape pool, how he was able to kind of pull out of. Um, daydreaming how he said this song this sound sounds angry and sort of the reverse masking of half my life and i was like oh wow that's so interesting i thought of that that kind of guided my listening to this in this track specifically in the lyrical content 
It sort of feels like the inverse of this is what you get when you mess with us in Karma Police. And it feels like stripping that down to the, again, inverting it and sort of like, I'm alone. And to hone it on the anger, uh, I, I drew a totally different meaning out of it than what you were just talking about, the societal anger. And I was like, I wonder if this is Tom expressing or emoting anger at his bandmates. And I'm not trying to create some theme that there's discord within Radiohead, but I just, I really, you know, I, when I look back at my listening into this album, I remember just constantly Google searching in early 2020, will Radiohead put out another album? Were they going to tour? Not knowing about the smile. And it, and it just kind of, it doesn't like crack me up like, oh, I was so naive. I mean, I was, I was still obsessing over what my favorite band, but I don't think I had a read on like what it's like to be in a group at that point. You know, not to say that I understand that now or understand the dynamics within Radiohead, but I think that I'm like, I just wonder. I just wonder if this the part of what he's emoting on this album has a lot to do with everything we've covered. And I wonder if there might be more space that's needed in Radiohead than we're aware of. And I don't know. I don't want to create this whole fictional narrative on something that I have literally no information to support. But that was just something I thought of when I was listening to it. And and again, it, it kind of in the unified, whether it's meant this way or not, in Karma Police of this is what you get when you mess with us as a, as a unified entity, whether it's the band, society, whatever. And this one, I'm like, oh, this this feels very I'm on an island. And, and I don't know, I mean, there's still collaboration between Tom and Johnny. We make all these jokes about Ed and how he's, you know, happy to go along. But one of the things that illuminated that uh, Radiohead Life in a Glass House, the book by John Azelwood illuminated to me is Tom and Colin have the longest history. They've always been in a band together since they were 16 years old. Then yeah. Ed, then Phil, then Johnny. And when you yeah. kind of look at the paths and you kind of think about what is the dynamics in the studio like? It really isn't, I don't think, just Tom and Johnny. And I wonder, like, how, how strong of a personality does Colin have? Mm-hmm. You know, he's known Tom his entire life. He's older than him. He's, I'm not saying there, ha- there has to be some, like, salacious story here. But that, sure. that was my, that was just something that ran through my mind when I was listening to it. And if I would love to hear if you have anything to add or not on that. I, I mean, I really enjoy that that's like a really uh interesting fan theory i had not (laughs) thought of it in that context you're making me wonder now if this computer voice saying this is when you know who your real friends are is tom kind of going like nigel's my only friend now (laughs) only nigel and my new girlfriend are invited to my birthday. And party. Johnny too. <laughs> and Johnny can come, but you can't bring Colin. <laughs> and Ed is there, but only because he's catering the event. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also too to just shoot down my nominee. It's not a theory, listeners. I'm not trying to start sub. There is Discord, but. It has been fun throughout the course of this project. You know, one of the things you just casually illuminated to me during Hail the Thief was you said that Ed had said that was the only album that they didn't want to kill each other after they were finished. And I just hadn't come across that information. And I was like, man, and just that little bit really stuck with me. So I don't, I'm not trying to create a narrative of, of Discord or that this album is also meant uh, like it's like, a, you know, like a, um, a rap album where it's like, you know, in the same way that like West Coast East Coast would call attention to each other and you know kind of call each other out. I'm not saying sure. it's that, 
But I, I just feel like Tom writes from the heart and he doesn't always know what he's even saying. And I wonder if, if that, that was elements laden through laden within his consciousness. Cause I do think that there is some, some definitive space being taken, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, dude, of, of, there sure is because, you know, we already have covered the, as of now, last Radiohead album. And then he did a solo album and then he started a new band. So you're right. That doesn't need to be acrimonious, but space has been taken. Yeah. And whether that is space from a place of, you know, total peace among all the members mm-hmm. of the band or space of like, I need fucking space from you. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll never know because they're classy gents and they're not going to, they're not going to go. Hey, by the way, we started uh, the smile because it turns out Phil is like a real drag and we, and we wanted to right. do something, you know, that's, they're never going to do that. And, and, you know, I hope that it's not, that there's discord because as always, as I say, almost once per episode, as I say, almost every episode, I'm holding out hope that there will be mm-hmm. more Radiohead. but goddamn, what an album this is. And it's very mm-hmm. distinct from a Radiohead album. And I love that about it. Mm-hmm. I really, really yeah. love that about it. I really get the sense that we both are huge fans of anima. Uh, is, is that mm-hmm. a feeling that you came away from your time Absolutely. With this record with? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always, since its release, you know, um, uh, I've always really, really enjoyed it. I've certainly gotten more out of it discussing it with you. You know, it doesn't sound like we're going to do it in this episode, but I do have my my placement of the Tom York side project, Tom York solo catalog worked out. So I'm excited to sort of review that with you whenever the time is right. But just Wait, to, you have you know, the four albums? Yeah. Are you oh, inclu- yeah. Yeah, hit me with it. Oh, okay. Uh, I my order goes the Eraser at number one, uh, okay. Adams for Peace Amok number two, Anima number three, and then Tomorrow's Modern Boxes number four. I think that's a really solid ranking. I would go the Eraser, Anima, Adams for Peace, Tomorrow's Modern Boxes, and I got to tell you, it might be a little bit of recency bias, but at this point, Eraser and Anima are are in contention for that number one spot. I think that what I think works so well about Anima is how cohesive it is as kind of one piece, but mm-hmm. that's also maybe why I would give Eraser slight preferential treatment is I like that I can kind of get a little bit of this and that on that album as opposed to like the Anima, even though I do really love individual tracks, it kind of demands a all the way through listen for me and the eraser i i can i can go you know what i'm gonna throw on black swan right now and and go from there yeah i think you put it best on our tomorrow's modern boxes uh episode in that you can when you said that on the eraser you can really feel the pressure of tom saying to himself you know this is my solo debut it better be fucking good and i and i just think that that comes through so strongly on that album i mean that that is up there with ram to me you know paul mccartney's mm-hmm. ram you know peter gabriel's solo even though i like peter gabriel as a solo artist exclusively i don't love genesis but to me it is just like peak a solo artist you know who pick pick whoever you like listeners but it is it stands on its own it's one of my favorite album albums ever let alone within the radiohead catalog and i love this album 
But to me, it's it's no contest, the eraser. And the only reason why I put Adams for Peace above this is because I do think Adams for Peace arrangement-wise has a little bit more for me to offer when I'm trying to listen for like musical purposes. Whereas mm-hmm. this album, the lyrical content is is so much stronger uh you know uh, to me because it's it's clearly more thought out but yeah that's my order um subject to change as all things are but god damn do i love this album you know not not a labor at all not one that that had snuck by me and it's just been been so fun just re-exploring it totally man i mean it it really is great to be kind of reaching uh you know the the twilight of Mm -hmm. discussing Radiohead's canon and getting these gifts from the past mm-hmm. uh, in Amok and in Anima, these things that I either in the case of Amok had never listened to, or in the case of this listened to, and then for some reason didn't stick with. I just think my musical attention was other places in 2019. Yeah. If, if I think back on, I think I was listening to like more hip hop at the time and, uh, sure. I still love hip hop now and I have the room in my heart to love Tom York and <laughs> run the jewels. But you know how it is. Yeah. Things things take up. Your well, they had a new album in times. 2020 or 2021. 2018. They had a new album. Oh. And then, yes. Okay. And then in 2020. But yeah. So okay, you know, I listen to that 2020 album a lot. That shit was fucking rad. Yeah. Run the jewels Four is great as are two and three. And one is cool, too. But. Uh, two is where it really kicks in. In any case, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that when we do a season about Run the Jewels. <laughs> yeah. But did you have any final thoughts about this album before we close out here? No, not at all, man. I just what a joy to listen to it with you and unpack uh I think sort of the lyrical themes, the short film. Uh, you know, listeners, um uh, you know, all, as always, please I encourage you to listen to this album. Uh, you know, if you haven't gotten the chance to listen to it, before listening to this episode i kind of doubt that but hey you never know and that would be such a nice compliment to walker and i if this is your first exposure to it and that short film directed by pt anderson uh is 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 a a really great companion piece but those are my final thoughts and just thanks for doing this episode it was so much fun likewise i echo everything zach just said and i think that i really uh had ample time to kind of lay my thoughts about this album on the table Listeners, we hope that you enjoyed going through Anima with us and discussing it. If you're new to the show, we've talked about all of Radiohead's previous nine studio albums as well as other side projects. So go back and give those a listen. Welcome to the show. And even though, as I said, we're reaching the end of Radiohead and their side projects... We still have more to discuss. Mm -hmm. There is still going to be a couple episodes about the smiles. Zach and I still need to go back and rate and rank all of the Radiohead stuff we've covered. Next week, we're doing something a little bit different. And I won't say exactly what it is, but I will say fans of Idiobat will be pleased. And with that, (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Remember to follow the podcast, rate and review. Tell your friends. We'll be back next week on a Friday. I have been Walker Glenn. I'm Zach Glenn. Take care, listeners. Bye. Bye. Idiotalk is a Glenn Brothers production. 
Get in touch with us at idiotalk.podcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at idiotalk.podcast. And thanks for listening to... Thank you.